Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Moralia Python Radio. With your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. No beep. You didn't put, I, I don't know what you're doing, Eric. But anyway, uh, good evening, Morelia heads. I really hope Eric pushed a button here because uh, I am not in control. He is running the board, but Eric is going to be in and out, and he's being replaced by our ever-faithful and always there-when-needed uh, insert co-host here, uh, Rob Stone. Uh, we're going to be <laughs> on the show with <laughs> That's a great introduction, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's no, pretty great, man. <laughs> How you doing, Rob? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. Now, great to be here having Ron on. Ron's super cool, old school guy. It'll yeah. be great, man. And yeah, I don't know if you got your notes pulled up, man, but the only thing he took the time to write for your uh, little intro was Carpet Fest. That was all he wrote. So. I, hate, I hate that. You know, it's like I. Well, the thing is, he sent me the notes on the show. Uh, we're talking to Ron St. Pierre, and then uh, he also sent me a bunch of other stuff. So I clicked on that, and I'm like, I don't see anything about the show. Why Why has Eric done this to me? Like, I don't – all the list is about Carpet Fest. It's like, no, you fool. And like, oh, but I found the right one. So for mild uh, moment of panic during uh, the intro music, which is usually, you know, happens with the show. But anyway, uh, but yeah, you know, you know, you set this show up, and obviously, you know, uh, having you on to uh, insert Hobbit here is uh, definitely always good, so – yeah, right. It's it's always fun when you just do the the Hobbit switch out instead of the dual yeah. ho- dueling Hobbit dual show. Hobbit. You know? Yeah, I can't. <laughs> That's problematic yeah, for everyone. Give and take. Yeah. So how's uh, quick before we get Ron on? You know, how's your season going? Oh, it's good, man. I should have uh, fingers crossed, man. I saw a lot of breeding from the Puerto Rican boas, and um, you know, I'm hopeful that come October she has little babies, and that'd be really cool. Other than that. Probably two or three clutches of rhinos. Been uh, breeding these ball pythons that I've been babysitting for a buddy of mine for the last two and a half mm-hmm. years, which is super fun. Not doing any uh, OMAC specials this year. I actually turned a cage into an incubator to not ah, have to have them go see. through that. But no, yeah, I mean, it was. Only, only do it so much. <laughs> yeah, well, the the issue, I guess, is they're not one of those species that can actually raise their temperature. Harlan was telling me this. He was saying that they just sort of they need to access heat and then bring it in, and they can sort of contain it, but they can't shiver to actually generate heat Ew. themselves. So, I know that. yeah, right. So that, I knew that there mm. were some species where that was true, but I didn't know that was the case with uh, with ball pythons. So he told me this, and the first clutch was a little bit early in the year, so my room temps were dropping a little bit, and she had nine huge eggs. And I was like, okay, well, she really can't manage this, especially relative to what the room temps are doing. So, hey, turn a uh, cage into an incubator and good to go, man. They look good. A month in, look good. And I think I'll have four more clutches. So, no, good stuff. All right. Well, before we get Ron on here, we have to do a little bit of uh, shop talk. 
And uh, the only thing on my list is in bold letters, it says Carpet Fest. Um, I wish he told me what Carpet Fest is because I have no idea what Eric's talking about. So let's move on and uh, let's just keep going. But no, um, I'm, so Carpet Fest, <laughs> he's having a heart attack somewhere. But anyway, Carpet Fest is June 9th, and that is the Northeast Carpet Fest. It's our chapter of Carpet Fest, um, and that is in uh, Warminster, uh, Pennsylvania. And he also wants to talk about the auction. And we're looking currently now for anybody who wants to donate any type of item, voucher, animal, anything to the auction to please get in contact with myself or Eric. Um, we have a list of auction members, so people who've already contributed to the auction. We're going to go through them. I think we'll do that. We'll save that till the end of the show. Um, but we'll do that. And obviously, if you do contribute to Carpet Fest, uh, we're going to throw your your contact information uh your website out there. So it's almost like you're getting a commercial here on Morelia Python radio for all the listeners to listen to. So also uh, Eric has put up a list of hotels in his area um, on the group page from Morelia for carpet fest. So if you are thinking about traveling, cause I know Rob, you are, but you get to stay at like Shea Burke, um, Hobbit Manor. the rest of, yeah, <laughs> That's good because you did it and I didn't. But um, the um, <coughs> but uh, so there are a list of uh, hotels in the area for people who want to stop by, um, for people who are thinking about traveling in. But again, if you are coming to Carpet Fest, we ask that you do bring something to eat or drink. You can bring whatever you want. Just get in contact with me uh, to let me know what you're going to bring so that I can make sure that nobody else uh, has beat you to it. And then also when it comes down to if you wish to give a voucher or an animal, let us know. There are no live animals at Carpet Fest, so please take a picture of the animal and send it to me, and we'll make sure it's in the auction. And then whoever wins the auction will get in contact with you about how to get the animal shipping, anything like that. So I think that's all we're going to talk about Carpet Fest now. We're going to hit it again uh, after the show and see how it goes. Are you excited for Carpet Fest, Rob? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, and, you know, I, I sort of didn't have the real feel for how quickly it's coming up here until uh, I reached out to Eric today to get, <laughs> confirm the call-in number for Ron. And, uh, you know, I get this sort of all-caps response saying, I'm working on it, man, you know. And I was like, oh, uh, okay. It's sorry, cool, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, dude. Uh, I just just wanted to confirm. Jesus. So, yeah, Um well, it's it's a anybody who's coasted Carpet Fest will tell you it is it's a pretty daunting thing. So uh, obviously we're gonna try to do our best to get it set up, and hopefully Eric doesn't lose his head a little uh, too much. So, but we'll see. Um, but anyway, let's uh, quit the dilly dallying. Let's get Ron on. So let's tell Eric to uh, do that. I'm in contact with him through. <laughs> from the text, and now he can do that. Ron, uh, welcome to Morelia Python Radio. How you doing? Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Totally. Yeah, thanks for being on, okay? man. Yeah, you're great. Yep, we can hear you fine. Okay, cool. So, cool. so I guess, Ron, the way we kind of start every show is just to you know let us know what drew you to reptiles, what got you involved in everything from the get-go. Uh, well, I mean, pretty much like a lot of these guys, uh, I'm a lifer, you know, I've been, I've pretty much done nothing but this since I was a little kid, you know, when I, was, I grew up in Miami. So, 
you know, we had lots of anoles and, and little snakes and stuff in my yard when I was a kid, and I used to spend a lot of time catching that stuff. Um, then right around the time I was like 16, I started to realize that, you know, I could, I could, uh, I actually met this guy named Ed Chapman who owned a reptile importer place near where I lived. And, um, so I started catching, you know, like Cuban anoles and, and brown anoles and I would sell them, tra- basically trade them to him for stuff that I wanted, like red tegus and stuff like that. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. Um, eventually by the time I was 18, I was basically a professional, uh, invasive anole collector. I went around Miami and collected, you know, large amounts of giant night anoles and brown anoles and supplied the pet trade. Um, and I did that for about 10, 12 years. And I used that to, uh, not only pay my bills, but also to amass a breeding collection. Um, I started breeding, I think the first thing I ever read were Burmese pythons, and that was in, like, 1986. Um, Yeah, I was 18, so, yeah, 86. And then um, it just kind of kept going. Uh, You know, by the early 90s, I had bred, you know, all kinds of pythons and colubrids and boas, and I started messing around with more lizards and stuff like that, so... And I've been doing it ever since. I mean, by now, I, I I was telling Rob the other day, I can't even remember how many species I've commercially bred. I've been commercially breeding reptiles since probably the late, I don't know, 90, 91 is when I really started to do it uh, wow. pretty hardcore. And um, it's it's north of 150 species by now, maybe even considerably more than that. I can pretty much rattle off 100 easy and then the rest of it's kind of a blur but <laughs> <laughs> i've forgotten more than i you know other you for, you have forgotten more species other people have bred so you know that's daunting <laughs> so. well i was pretty fortunate i mean growing up in miami especially in the in the early in the late 80s early 90s i was surrounded by multiple large importers um, that mm-hmm. were bringing in Pretty much, you know, by, back then, uh, lots of different things came in, things that we can't get today that we, you know, I mean, monkey-tailed skinks uh, were 35 bucks, and I had bright yellow ones that I had just picked out of shipments and stuff like that. I mean, it was, you know, all the different monitor lizards that used to come in, and mm-hmm. um, so... I was fortunate I was able to get a lot of that stuff and because I was collecting anoles for all these guys, you know, it was easy for me to go in there and trade out. I ended up with a few very notable projects um, by doing that. So, and I wasn't kind of in the, at ground zero for the original real morph explosion that happened with the boa constrictors and ball pythons. And I was right there where they were all coming in. So I would, I was able to go through shipments and pick out, um, morphs, you know, right out of the bag and come home Jeez. with this cool stuff. That's how I got the original. I was the first person to produce blood bows um, back in the early 90s, and I found those at an importer facility when I was helping them unload. There were four bright red boas, baby uh, El Salvador boas in a bag. and I was like, okay, I'll take those. <laughs> those will be mine, those right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, but I'm not that interested. Let's let's just do the slight special price, right? Not not the super hike. Actually, 
man, I, I, I can't remember exactly, but I think I paid like 35 bucks a piece for them. They were like $10 no more than money. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I got lots of stuff. Because back then, you know, nobody really knew. That was kind of, you know, people were looking at it. We, you know, none of it was proven. We weren't sure, you know, is, is that natural variation? Is that, you know, is that mm-hmm. even genetic, you know, stuff like that. So I ended up with a lot of, a lot of cool projects that way. Um, so for a while, I was really focused on Central American boas because of that. Actually, in that same shipment, I also got three black-tailed anatheristic boas and three, they were either T-positive albinos or some type of a hypo. I never actually got to finish that, that part of it. I sold them off or traded those. I can't remember, but um, but the bloods I did I did flesh out, and the same with the black-tailed anaries. This is all, all awesome. just so, catching little lizards and walking in and right. like, I don't know, handing over boxes of them. I mean, Jesus, yep. that's awesome. Yeah, yep. because you're talking about a whole lot of anoles, right? Like, how many? <laughs> what, what would this entail? Like, how many would you catch in a day? Something like that. Um, for the giant anoles, the big night anoles, you know, that's an 18 to 20 inch um, lizard. I would mm-hmm. basically collect them in the neighborhood I lived in, and on a good day, I could catch. I think the best day I ever had, I caught 212 in like four hours and, <laughs> Holy shit. and, and never getting out of my car. <laughs> I used to oh drive up the street. I had a collapsible pole, a telescopic brim pole that I modified with a noose on it. And I would drive up to the tree, stick the noose out the window, pull the anole in, drive to the next one. And <laughs> it would all be perfect. Yeah. And I did that I from... I mean, like, nobody freaked out with this kid that was driving down the street just plucking lizards out of, like, a bush or something like that, you know? You know? It's Florida. This is normal. At least once. (laughs) (laughs) You know that the vast majority of time people would stop me and say, hey, they're in my backyard eating my mango tree, my mangoes, and my avocados, and they'd let me. Yeah, and I'd go in and I'd be able to pick up a few more. (laughs) It was pretty crazy. The people in Miami aren't really – in general, there's a lot of kind of anti-animal feelings around there. You know, nobody wants them in their yard. Everybody wants a perfect lawn and a perfect fruit trees. And so it's pretty easy, man. That's, you know, I, I was actually supplying like six different um, non-native species to the trade that were all uh, introduced into South Florida. And um, so I, I pretty much did that from 86. 84 no 84 until 92 and hurricane andrew kind of um it wiped out most of my hunting spots so for a couple yeah. of years i couldn't i couldn't really do it and so that really it was actually kind of a pivotal point for me it kind of pushed me into doing full-time uh, uh reptile breeding because i had lost the ability to to pay my bills off of uh catching you know pulling these five dollar bills off trees <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> crazy man and what about in terms of the brown anoles and stuff how many of those would you find in a given day yeah um i mean on a good on a good night when the dew sets you know you can catch a thousand fifteen hundred brown anoles in a few hours oh. um you're just literally <laughs> just picking them up and they're all over the place but if you know if there's no dew out then there's there's none to be found you can't even find one it's um, they're all over the place in the daytime, but it's a nightmare to try to catch these speedy little, you know, brown lizards right. and zip around. But, I mean, there's a lot of people that commercially do this these days, and 
the brown anoles are one of the one of the you know things that are collected in large quantities, and it does not ever seem to put a dent on the population in any way. It, there's just there's millions of them, and they're spread. They've spread pretty much all over Florida now. So. Jesus. But down in Miami, you know, you have the big ones. You know, you got these 20-inch night anoles, and there's a Jamaican anole that gets around 16 inches, and there's a few other medium-sized 12 and 10 to 12-inch anoles down there. So, and I was just none of, the, uh, none of these are native, right? This is all introduced no, stuff, is what you said. Yeah, all introduced, all, all non-native. Actually, the, my first business when I was 16, I went had cards made and everything. I called it Introduced Herpetofauna, and I started uh, advertising in the the old school version of Fauna Classifieds, which was this little mailer that they used to mail out, and mm-hmm. um, you know, in the back of uh, Bavaria magazine and stuff, and, and that's how I did. And I used that to build up, you know, eventually my my uh, my the first iteration of my breeding business. Jesus. Nowadays, the state would probably pay you to do that. <laughs> like, you know, from the pet stores. I mean, you know, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> you could double dip. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> God. Yeah, exactly. Well, when the Tegu problem first popped up, they, they asked me to be on the um, initial uh, committee to try to eradicate them. That was the first colony that appeared in in the Tampa area. But, um they really had no interest in anybody collecting them. They just wanted to study them. So yeah. uh, mm. they're kind of, they're, I mean, I understand why they're the way they are because the problem is that a lot of the, I shouldn't, I don't, well, some of the commercial collectors that do this for a living will take them um, and then seed other places with them. So they managed to spread veil chameleons pretty much all over um, Florida now, pretty much, I would say probably 60% of the peninsula has veil chameleons on it. Now they're spread out and they're still kind of sparse and they haven't, but they've moved them up and down both coasts pretty extensively. And um, so there you can find them in pockets in a lot of places and they didn't get there by pets randomly, you know, raised collectors took them from the central location where they were introduced and then spread them on both sides. So, um, so that's, that's why they're they're you know the state is kind of looking at it like well they're kind of making it worse yeah sure so that's an issue but I mean it's and it was to, it's honestly it's totally unnecessary if you know they there was tons of them where they were they could have just uh, kept milking that until it was done and then moved on to something else but instead they used this to set up these uh, their own personal sweet spots and now we have. Oh. Chameleons all over the place. So. so they took them and they set up little pockets of wild chameleons that they can come back and, you know. Exactly. They know where they're chameleons. at and that sort of yeah. stuff. Right. Sure. Yep. Wow. So, uh, so that's what they were worried about them doing with the Tegus, which would have, that would have legitimately been a huge problem because that's a, the Argentine Tegu really has, um, it's a high production animal. It can lay 50, 60 eggs. Um, mm-hmm. Can do that on a yearly basis with no issues at all. It hibernates. It can withstand, you know, real cold, colubrid level, you know, cold. Huh. And um, so, you know, those could they could spread pretty far, pretty fast. Yeah. But they're they're hitting them pretty hard 
And uh, I went down there recently to look at the population in South Florida, and we didn't see a single tegu, and we were there all day. We saw a lot of traps. There's a lot of traps. Yeah. But um, there were no tegus in any traps, and there were no no tegus out and about and stuff. So, and we were there at a good time. And that's different than like you you say like what maybe ten years ago there'd be full traps and still lizards running around. Or yeah, pro- yeah. Okay. I mean, I never really went after them. I I really didn't want to be. Uh, there were rumors because I, I I was a huge large tegu breeder, and right. people were saying and were making up crap that you know that i released them that they got away from my place but they were 80 miles away from me and the last thing that i was going to do was introduce an animal that i was trying to make a living on in florida just to devalue the entire thing so so i just i was like you know i just don't even want to be associated with this and Mm -hmm. so i stayed away from it for a long time and uh you know, well, presumably you'd be things. risking regulation too. Like the yeah. more, the, you know, exactly. if it becomes an invasive problem, it's not going to be. You know, you're likely to run into a exactly. law saying, "Actually, don't keep these." Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, it just and, doesn't make sense. And I bred tegus pretty for like 25 years. I mean, so, and and to this day, I do have now a very small um, investment in it, and I do have some. But I, uh, I'll be honest, I'll never go back to doing a lot of them because I'm afraid that one day I'll wake up and they'll be banned or, you know, there's going to be a real problem with them in Florida. So, and I just don't want to, right. I just don't sure. want to, as soon as the regulations start getting a little sticky, then I generally tend to get out because I just don't want to, I just don't want to deal with it. There's too many other things, cool things out there I want to mess right. with. And, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, you know, that's a good excuse to, to go work on something else. Makes sense. So, I mean, it's sure. going to be one of those things. We, we've, we've talked to numerous people who had to uh, uh, deal with the retick and berm restriction, and it's like a, some of yep. them held on firm and, you know, kept all their guys. But, you know, most of them were like, yeah, we kind of just shifted to something else. And then when they lifted everything, we went and got stuff back. So it kind of seems yeah. like that's the easier way to do it because you don't want to put all the eggs in one basket and then, you know, lose the basket, and then the basket falls so, apart on you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, get to take it yeah. away. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Especially but, if you rely on this to pay your bills, and yeah. Exactly. exactly. So, beyond tegus, um, what else is something that maybe you uh, back in the day you had like tons of that you really worked on heavy? Um, mostly, you know, I, I like I worked on the. Central American boas when no one cared. <laughs> I couldn't sell a blood boa for like, for like 10 years I was producing blood boas and I would take them to shows and I'd show them and I'm like, you know, look, it's a, it's a recessive. It's simple. It's red, you know, it's red in boas. And I got the same thing almost everywhere. I went, well, it's nice, but it's not a Colombian boa. So no one gives a shit. <laughs> so, Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so well, about you, you had a patternless that. one, right? That you took into the blood bows and stuff too. Yeah, was it patternless yes, I did have a pa- Yeah, it was it was basically missing almost all its saddles except it had some re- some small um, tail saddles that were were reduced but not completely absent. And um, that animal did get bred into the into the blood boas, um, and I, I I wasn't sure of the genetics of that, so it was unproven, and I ended up selling some hats and. Um, I honestly don't remember exactly what happened to the whole thing because that was uh, shortly after I moved and the first time. And I was really in the middle of this huge tegu project where I had an acre of tegus and 
Um, and I produced the first albino, so that was I was really oh. focused more on that. So the boas and stuff kind of went to to the wayside. But um, so those animals kind of got sold off to friends and lost. And but now I hear that uh, I think I was talking. I think it was Vin Russo that mentioned that um, some of my yeah, uh, old school blood, yeah, my blood bloodlines were now he were throwing some of these uh, like super aberrant things and. He was wondering where it came from, and we were talking about it. I'm like, yeah, I didn't really tell a lot of people that was in there because I didn't know it was if it was genetic or not. And uh, you know, I hadn't. I once I proved it out, and I obviously I wanted to sell hats, but couldn't afford to keep them all. So some people got some surprises. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and really you cool had though. the motley boas too, right? That you sold to Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah, the original, uh, the original motley bow. That's kind of a funny story. I. Uh, that thing had sat at strictly reptiles. It was an imported boa that um, they were calling the bizarre boa, and they had it on their list as that. <laughs> and they and they had it on there for like fifteen hundred bucks, and they had it on the list for like two years. And I had watched this thing actually grow up in strictly because I was there, you know, once a week or more. Sure. Um, it never really, you know, I, I looked at it, and so did pretty much everybody else. And everybody was like, "No, that's a, that's just a, probably a, you know, a." temperature got hot sure yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and um so one particular day a buddy of mine asked me to pick up some motley corn snakes and i went down there to buy them for him and strictly had moved the motley bow well the the bizarre boa into the colubrid room that day and i was pulling out these motley bow these motley corn snakes and I'm looking at them like, man, I've seen this somewhere before. And I'm looking up in front of me, and that freaking boa was there. And I look back down at the Moffat corn snake, <laughs> looked at the boa, and it's just lights are going back off. And I'm forth. like, oh. yeah. Yep. I was like, holy crap, this is the same thing. So I went in the office, and I traded my, I don't remember how many, it was some amount. I was I'm like, hey, man, I'll give you, you know, the next couple loads of Cuban and holes, and, you know, I'll uh-huh. take that snake off your hands. So that's how I ended up with that thing. I traded some juveniles for it. I brought it home. Like like a year and a half, two years later, I bred it to this completely unrelated, normal boa that I had picked up somewhere. I don't even remember. And um, then, like, out of the – so she had babies. There was a lot of slugs. I, I screwed up somewhere. But um, four of the babies that were born – uh, two were stillborn, two were live, were more motley boas. So I'd proven that it was at least heritable. And um, awesome. then I, yeah, and then I ended up, uh, we we decided to leave Miami and we wanted to move to a, you know, a place with property out in um, West Palm and Loxahatchee. So I ended up selling that project um, to uh, Jeremy Stone for basically the down payment on my house. And, uh, <laughs> Well, that proved, that, that worked was, out, right? Yeah, yeah, it was it was good for everybody. He went on to do, you know, obviously he he really worked that project, and um, you know he took it on. And, and you know the boa thing with me at the time, I was I I had just gotten the original blue tegus, and I just had really you know started producing those, and you know I was I was constantly I was pretty much. Uh, they were really my focus, and uh, I had, you know, I couldn't even come close to the demand, to supplying the demand. So, the other things, I had all these side projects and stuff, and so I made the stupid decision, in retrospect, to uh, <laughs> jettison all my other projects and try to go 100% tegu and 
I moved out to Loxahatchee. I covered an acre in tegus. I had 250 adults at one time of you know, oh blues and albinos and all this crap. And mm-hmm. It ended up being a huge, huge failure, um, but it was a good learning experience. And uh, so in 2006, I, I ended up uh, starting over from scratch after that whole thing imploded. <laughs> but... Um, I sold off all the tegus. They're all spread out all over the place now. Underground got a bunch of the adults. Uh, Ty Park ended up with a bunch in a roundabout sort of way. And so the colony is still going strong and it's, and it's all over the place. But yeah, it was just, uh, I had some stupid ideas about tegus at the time. I looked at them like they were a veranid and I was treating them like that. I was spending an enormous amount of money on rodents. And, uh, I had 10 years to think about that. And then when I started doing them again recently, I've cha- completely changed everything. And I, I'm seeing way better results. I'm looking at them more now. And the, the more, I think they're, they have more in common with a blue tongue skink um, than they do with a monitor lizard. And, um, I mean, they're obviously, they're kind of their own thing too, but um, rodents definitely caused major issues with them. I couldn't see it at the time because I'm kind of a stubborn ass, but, um, yeah. But I finally, after having ten years to lick my wounds over that one and think about it, I was like, "Oh my God, this is where it is." I because I was running into this issue where after three years, they I just wasn't getting anything anymore. So I had all this this money and investment in the, all these animals that I grew up, and they breed great for the first two years, and then the third year it would just stop. It was I was getting infertiles or I was getting nothing at all, and then. Um, Basically, what it came down to is the males were too fat, and rodents are a bad, bad thing to feed tegus because uh, maybe in very, in very small moderation. But the way I was doing it, feeding heavy amounts of, you know, of mice, it was, uh, it was, a, it, effects were bad. So, yeah, it's just too much for I mean, me. Yeah, I, I mean, if you think about how often, I personally. I think tegus are more insectivorous than anything else. Um, I've now I'm raising them and the ones I've raised now are better looking and more perfect and more muscular than anything I've ever raised before. Um, and they, they're basically eating nothing but super worms and Missouri crocodile diet. And it's, uh, they're just, they're flawless. They're, they're definitely, I think this is the, this is a more natural or, you know, diet for them. I mean, obviously it's a commercial diet, so it's not really that natural, but, but it's more akin sure. to what they probably mimics, would get. Sure. Yeah. So, um, they're not just turning anyway. into little sausages with uh, little stuff sticking out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah they're yeah. not the little blobs that look at you and like feed me more. Mm. I mean, that's an animal that hibernates. It's got a very small window where it has to feed. So they will gorge themselves. And if you, they'll eat every day and multiple times a day, if you let them, and um, I had bred a lot of monitor lizards and, you know, kind of the thing with them is you keep the males kind of thin, but you keep the females, you know, heavy, sure. full of food and they'll keep laying eggs. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was kind of applying that, not really even thinking about it until uh, until I started running into the three-year problem. And, and a lot of people do. I mean, I've talked to other people that, that have the same issue. and So I think I have the fix for it now, but, you know. It took me a long right. time to come to that one. <laughs> and it was right. It's so simple. It's, 
So, so yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say so that, that the, yeah. uh, you know, and I, to- I told you this last week, I gave you the forewarning, right? That uh, I think most people mm-hmm. my generation, you know, the, the first exposure to you was those ads for mineral that would run in reptiles, right? Where you're, you're standing there holding the tegu. It's the ad with, uh, you had quotes from Bert and Alan and Chad and yeah. Bob and all those folks. And, you know, you're standing there holding the big old tegu. It's like, oh, there's that guy. And so, yeah, that's always been sort of my initial context, you know. And I would think anyone who still reads, you know, or at least grew up reading magazines and actual books and stuff like that, you know, it's probably the same same situation with them. I'm sure Owen's the same spot. I don't know if he realizes it. Owen can't read. I mean, like, you know, that's, <laughs> to be honest, you know. Um, well, this is no, just I, pictures, I have... man. You just look at the pictures. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but, um, but, no, I mean, I had uh, – I'm trying – I have tons of old reptile magazines downstairs. And I bet yeah, you you'll I have to go through, man. Some of them. I even have old vivariums. So, for all I know, I have one of your original ads from when you were trying to sell a Knowles um, uh, like, you know, when you were 18 or something in the back of it. So, yeah. and if you think I'm not going to go looking for it, you know, that's, then you you're crazy. Know me yeah. at all. It's definitely very cool to have that stuff. So, uh, but that's, uh, an added thing where it's like some people might not even know that that stuff's out there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. you would hit on this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so you had hit on this a little bit. I mean, a lot of your exposure has been keeping stuff outside, you know, and now I know you've shifted to keeping stuff inside, but I just wanted you to talk a little bit about the challenges challenges and benefits of each thing. I know outside, right, you have probably more space, you have access to the big hot thing, you have seasonal changes, but you also have weather and bugs and escapes and all sorts of problems. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm actually, since I've talked to you, some uh, uh, a new um, prospect has come up, so I may actually be able to get back outside with everything pretty soon. It looks like a five-acre property with a four-car building on it, and, uh, nice. and uh, you know, you know, a good spot has come up, so we're hoping that um, we can get in there in the next month or two and get out of the warehouse, because uh-huh. I'm going to tell you, man, I got a new respect for you guys that work inside. I hate <laughs> cleaning, and oh my God. <laughs> the amount of cleaning that has to be done. And I was so spoiled by having these huge outdoor, you know, enclosures. And if you have your, if your animal densities are, are nice and low, you know, you don't over, you know, you don't put 10 sure. big lizards in a cage. You never really yeah. have to do anything other than feed them and kind of manage them, <laughs> you know, that way. Oh my God. Big monitors indoors cleaning. Oh, it's the only thing not, I can oh, say about that, I probably horrible. can't say on the radio. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, go ahead. We say, it. we say everything. Throw it out there. Fuck you know, Jesus. Yeah, there you go. It's oh, God, I have I have mangrove monitors, like yep. typically smaller, but I have three of them in a giant tank, and it's like that is a daily need to dump the water out because like no matter what you've done, they've turned it into this sludgy, shitty yep. mud overnight it's like oh god i just want them to be outside i wish i could put them outside <laughs> where it's like yeah, yeah. make the mud outside i don't care <laughs> you know it's there you're outside uh, well owen's I mean, owen's buddy is a big loves these big cheap 
monitors that everyone else thinks are terrible. That's sort of his thing, and he pawns <laughs> them off on Owen. So he, yeah. he's talking about the mangroves <laughs> now, but that tank used to have, like, Nile monitors in it, so it was yeah. even worse, you know. Oh, no, my the, God, yeah. yeah. Rob, the Niles are still here. They've just oh, over, outgrown the tank and are now upstairs in my office. So, you know, <laughs> they're just free-ranging free yeah, in your house. Free-range free in my office. No, they're not. Jim would not survive. But, no, it's um, <laughs> they're just upstairs in my office. So, yeah, they, these big, shitty monitors that no one cares about. But, you know, uh, there has to be, I guess, um, the upside of outside. Like, did you ever find that maybe it was a little bit easier to, I don't know, breed something that lived outdoors? Like, you didn't have to really shift over weather or something? Um, actually, yeah. I mean, from my personal um, experience, I mean, see, it, it's kind of like a wash. I mean, there's, there's – mm-hmm. so you kind of trade – like, there's a lot more security when you have them indoors because, you know, you don't have to worry about a tornado landing in your backyard, really. You don't have to worry about, you know, a, a large animal ripping into your cages or some somebody, you know, jumping your fence and breaking it. I mean, obviously those things could still happen to a degree in a warehouse, but you have an added level of security that I traded off. Um, there's a lot of pluses to doing things outside. I mean, particularly, you know, the animals, obviously they get natural sun, they get fresh air, they get access um, to a couple of other things. And one of the things I'm going to talk about, um, if we have time, is uh, some new, a new way of looking at that hydration for um, for different things because I I'm working on I've been working on a new project pretty hard since 2013 and I ran into a lot of problems with this particular type of lizard that um, a lot of uh, it had a lot of correlation to things that people see with arboreal snakes and so I started working this out and yeah I mean Ron we can hop up. into that stuff now that that's yeah, fine you can just jump into it we have no Kind of, we can be all over the place, you know. Yeah, Eric's and just, not here. So right? We yeah, we have free reign, but uh, yeah. yeah, like what you know, I, I know you told me, but just in terms of what prompted you to come to the realization and all that stuff, and to hop into the crown giant ecomorph stuff, all that's whatever. Go where you want, man. We're open. <laughs> all right, so so and it actually kind of ties into outdoors. So in 2013, okay. um, a collector down in Miami caught uh, the first albino giant Cuban night and all baby. It's a little hassle. And and I ended up buying it. And um I brought it back and started working on that project. It was something that I totally had no intention of. It's kinda of weird that it was the thing that, you know, it's kind of the thing that I mean the first lizard my my parents took me to a pet store when I was like nine years old because I begged for an iguana and they bought me a giant Cuban and all because my mom didn't want an iguana because they got too big. So Good and then I ended up making my living on these things, you know. And um, yeah. so this albino came up. I initially turned it down, and I they had sent me a photo of it. And I was like, yeah, it's cool, but no one's going to give a shit. So I I, I threw it uh, – I threw the photo up on Facebook and went off to do my work for the day. And um, I came back inside, and, and I had all these messages. And I was like, what the hell am I – clicked it open i was expecting it to be something totally different it was all about that cuban and all and it was like you know a lot of industry people they were like what are you going to do with that you know i want to buy it and all this stuff and i was like oh (laughs) maybe this does maybe someone maybe this is actually something i should second and you didn't have it yet right you just put up the picture for fun (laughs) right and i freaked out 
I called the kid back. I'm like, I'm coming to get it. And it was like a four and a half, right five now. hour drive. <laughs> yep. I went, I went straight Jesus. to the bank, took out the money, got my car and did a five hour drive in about two and a half hours. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I, there's a lizard I got to get. Like, you know, it's like, I, I want to, I wanted to know like, that's, that's amazing. Oh, that story just gets better. So the kid, oh, the kid tells me, you know, to meet him on this corner. So I go to this place and I pull in. It's like this freaking, like, it's like a bad part of town. I mean, it's, this is a bad neighborhood. And I pull in, it's all these apartment complexes. And this kid is standing out in the corner with these, with a bunch of people drinking, look like drinking beer out of paper bags and shit. <laughs> and I was like, and, and I got a thousand dollars cash on me. And I'm oh, like, God. I'm going to oh, get God. robbed here. This is so, so I pull up, and his kids, he's holding this dirty McDonald's bag. And I'm like, please tell please me. Please don't tell me what's in there. <laughs> that that thing no. in that bag. And oh sure enough, God. he walks up. And this had to, you know what? If I would have been a cop sitting around, I would have thought there was a freaking heroin deal Drug going down. Oh, my God. Oh God. God. <laughs> he, he, walks, he walks up to my window in my truck, and I roll the window down, and he puts his hands in this little bag, and he opened it up, and, yeah. and there it was. It was almost dead. It was all dehydrated, uh, and I was like, shit. Uh, I looked at it, and I was like, I was like, ah, oh, this is worth a chance. So I gave the kid the money. I took the bag. I drove. I got out of the neighborhood. I went to a Burger King in a, in a safe spot, and I got out, and I went in and got some water and gave it a little bit of water. Oh <laughs> got it going. I got it home. <laughs> and, it was, and it was tiny. It was like it was a fresh hatchling, so it was like four inches. It looked like it had just hatched and crawled out of the ground when he happened to go by and see it. It was just bright bright fluorescent yellow so so i ended up getting it it survived and um so i it ended up starting this project and then over the years the following year some kid goes out in his backyard and that was a t-positive albino the first one so some kid near underground reptiles goes out in his backyard up in in fort lauderdale and finds two or three actually um over the course of a week found three T-negative albinos, of which I ended up with those. And then the year after, Ian Bassell, who I'm sure you guys know, yeah, so that walks out in his yard, water, or I forget what he was doing, but he found one, and his was some, his is something totally different. Yeah, so I ended up getting the one from Ian too. Are um, those those so, high yellow Lutino things? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The one okay. Because those from Ian, there are those red eye frogs that are like those, right? Does it seem to be yes. that same thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. The I think the T negatives are more basically like the Lutino. Um, they have right really ruby eye. The one Ian found has is different. I honestly don't know what the hell that thing is yet. I'm hoping to produce hats from it this year, or, or, or you know, whatever. We don't. We have no idea. But it's got it's got like so the T positive is is kind of a soft yellow with some like gold modeling all over it where you can see the, the black is trying to bleed right. through, but it can't. Right. Um, the right. T negatives are just solid yellow, like the Latinos with, with bright red eyes. And the uh, thing that Ian caught, it has a white tail, a white stomach. Um, uh, it's got some, it's got that soft yellow that the T positive has. It's got eyes that aren't normal, but they're not albino. I, I honestly don't know what the hell that thing is. but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay. I've gone back. I, clearly li- I live in the wrong state because apparently you yeah, can go right? outside and find lizards that are worth a thousand dollars in Florida, and I can't <laughs> in Pennsylvania. So you know, or a thousand one dollar lizards. 
I can't. Yeah, right. Either, either, they, either that. You know, God damn it. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I, I ended up playing a lot more too, than a right? thousand. Um, I did pick up some quote-unquote blue ones that people got, and I bred them. And then the first generation, they hatched blue, but they didn't retain the blue. They ended uh, up uh, turning green as adults. Okay. But I'm not really sure now because we hatched some albinos last year, some T-positives that also had that blue line crossed into it, and they hatched out white. Now, huh. they eventually... They eventually did also turn sort of yellow. So we're not really sure if that's a morph or not right now. We're still kind of developing that. And, and we ran into some, some hiccups, which is where the hydration thing comes from. So Yeah. Um, okay. So, what's, so we, uh, what's the hydration thing? I mean, you said you found well, – well, it all stems from the Knoll and the McDonald's bag. So. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> that was the start. Yeah. Start down the path yeah, okay. anyway. Right. Yeah, it's been like a five-year journey down that one. Um, so yeah, so, so anyway, so as I grew up these anoles and I, you know, I picked up other ones, I, I had some set up outside and I was having no issues with those at all. It was like super easy. Um, you know, no, no real issues, but then I realized, you know, if I'm going to sell this project to the public, I need to develop, you know, a, a decent indoor set of sure. protocols for them. And there, and there's almost no information on anoles. I mean, hardly anyone breeds them. There's a few people that do, but and there's almost no information outside. I mean, there's a ton of natural history information, but there's almost no herpetoculture-related information. So I've kind of had to – to uh, you guys still there? I just dropped my song. Um, yeah, we're here. We're yeah. good, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So over time, I uh, – where was I with that? Anyway, there's no, yeah, so there's not a lot of herpetoculture information, so I've had to kind of – do it old school where, you know, you kind of take the natural history stuff and work it like that. So, um, I had some set outside and there was no problem. So I started with this indoor thing. So I got these zoom ed tanks, you know, the 18 by 18 by 24, uh, uh, front opening terrariums. And I figured that was a good starting point. I set them up. I started running into these issues where, um, all the first clutches would be infertile. And over time, I also found um, other issues. Uh, we had some regurgitation problems, some prolapsing issues, a lot of the things you see in arboreal snakes. Right. And um, so I was kind of, I started going back and looking back over at Chondro stuff and uh, looking for, you know, answers. I went outside to some other places, and one thing constantly kept popping up was hydration. I was looking at at those anoles, and I was like, you know, I think I'm keeping them, you know. I was doing all the crap that we that everybody does, you know. It's like spraying right. twice a day or whatever, and, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. And um, I, I've now... So and so anyway, so for five years, this has driven me nuts because the first, no matter what, the first few clutches are always infertile. And then the later clutches later in the summer get, uh, start, they start, you know, being good and start getting sure. fertile eggs. And, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, I was talking to other people about it and the people, a lot of people say things like, you know, all oh, the first clutches, you know, they're bad, blah, 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 blah. I really don't think that nature is that inefficient right. that I think that <laughs> an animal can can lay a fertile if it can lay an egg at all it can be a fertile egg and if it's not then there's a husbandry problem. Sure. Right. I don't think it's just normal for that to happen. I mean, 
So that bothers me because that wasn't working. It's been driving me nuts. Um, well, and what's your relative so, humidity inside and outside down there? Because I know here it's we it's not a thing that exists in Colorado, uh, humidity. <laughs> but uh, you know, like I'm curious what what the relative humidity is in in the warehouse versus being outside. Just on, especially in spring, is you know, so it looks like maybe the relative humidity over the summer is bumped up enough that maybe that's your fertility issue, right? So. Maybe that's why the initials are bad. What what does it usually run? Um, well, actually, my warehouse basically is completely un climate controlled. It's basically like being, you know, it it uh, whatever it is outside, it's going to be in that warehouse. So for oh, that okay. reason, hmm. we've been we've uh, we've been. I mean, because I'm in Florida, that actually works to my advantage. Um, right. So I, I I really don't do climate control. I have messed with it in the past i think the climate control inhibits um a lot of things that i think it works against you in a lot of ways and uh whereas i think if you kind of let them experience a more natural range um even even equatorial stuff will get a range when it's raining all the time it's not going to be you know in the summer the temperatures are going to drop so they do get, you know, even though they don't get a, the same kind of uh, thing we do up here in, you know, more temperate zones, they, I think they, they need the chaos of, of sure. nature. And I think if you remove the chaos effect from it, I think in, I think in some species it works in spite of what you're doing, basically is what I'm saying. And I think a lot of hard to breed stuff is hard to breed because we try too hard to control every variable. So, <laughs> because, sure. because I mean, I bred I mean, I've read a lot of things and, and I, you know, they were all super easy, but the one thing that I've done that most people don't do is that I've just been lucky that where I live, I can throw the stuff outside. And I mean, I do do some, you know, minor management of stuff, but for the most part, when it's raining, mine get rain. When it's hot as hell, they get hot. When it's cold, they get cold. And, and I, I, keep them within safe levels, but I let them experience the whole range. And I, I bred everything from, you know, equatorial things to, to, to lubrids that, you know, every people think, Oh, you know, you got to keep them at 50 degrees for three months or whatever. And I, mine never see that in the summertime. They, I mean, in the wintertime, they might get 70, 75 most days and maybe down in the fifties at night and they were still breeding every year. No problems. Um, So anyway, so, um, so the hydration thing, yeah. So, so anyway, I, I've been struggling with it for a while, and humidity is it was an issue, and I started to think about, you know, the way we water things, and I've been looking at this pretty intently now for about six or eight months, and one of the things we do, we tend to spray things. If you think about it, you take a spray bottle. People use spray bottles to discipline their cats and dogs. <laughs> and you and you and you whack them with it, right? You spray them right. with it. They don't like yeah. it, and be, and because they show their displeasure with it, more readily. Reptiles really lack the ability to do that. I mean, they do it, but in subtle ways. And I think, I think every time we're up there blasting something with a spray bottle, I think we're we're you know we're irritating it at least, and we're stressing it out at worst. Sure. Right. So I think I think that practice kind of works against you. I know for sure that with the anoles, you spray them with it and they're like, what the hell are you doing, man? They, they <laughs> have this look, you know? <laughs> so, 
so I started so I started kind of backing off of that. I started using this uh, this you know automatic uh, delivery system that that drops soft large droplets to kind of simulate mm-hmm. rain a little bit. But that definitely wasn't enough. And um, okay. and then a couple of weeks ago, I guess it's been about a month now. I went out veil chameleon collecting with some friends, and I was standing in a field in Fort Myers where. Lots of veils had been collected, and I knew there were thousands and thousands of brown anoles. And we were out there at 2 a.m., and there wasn't a single lizard to be found. You could not find any anoles, any chameleons, nothing. And it was very dry, and it was windy that night. So everything was tucked up, desperately trying to retain whatever, you know, moisture it had in its body. And it just just all clicked. And I was like, you know what? I need to be... I need to be doing dew cycles, and I think the hydration cycles for most reptiles need not not I shouldn't say for most for things that arboreal things in particular. I think hydration cycles need to be looked at much much harder. I think a lot of the problems we have across the board with infertility, with prolapsing, and I know people have looked at this in the past and attempted you know more spraying and things like that. But I, I, at this point, I think that the important thing is to deliver the water at night in a cooled actual hydration cycle and using fog to simulate dew. Because as soon as the dew started to settle, which by now was like 3, 3 a.m. and we were tired and ready, you know, we were on the way out. We were walking (laughs) back to the car. And then, and then we found one veil chameleon. It, it, it had just emerged. So right. it just, so basically what I think is we're constantly draining the, uh, we're, we, we hydrate them in the daytime. Most of us anyway. I mean, I'm, maybe there are people out there that have been doing this that I just haven't, you know, I'm not privy to, but um, mm-hmm. most of us, we slap a water bowl in there and we spray them in the face like a, like a, we're trying to <laughs> tell the cat to get out of here <laughs> twice, <laughs> twice a day. And that's, and we think that's enough. And I, and at this point, I'm I'm convinced that it's not. I think uh, I think hydration needs to be delivered that way. And so I've got a bunch of guinea pigs that I'm currently testing. That uh, within a month, it's made a huge difference. Uh, we actually, prior to this, we started testing uh, a heavier water intake on the anoles um, that are outdoors because we've been in kind of a dry cycle in Florida and we were starting to get infertiles. And as soon as we kicked up the amount of water we were delivering to them, they started laying fertile eggs again. And we had a, hmm. like a prolapse issue and that we haven't seen any more of that. So wow. um, I'm probably all over the map on this cause I'm, it's late and I'm not really thinking straight, but no, it's fine. That's no, man, you're, you're, you're right. You're no, right you're, on. You're right on track. You're talking you're about good. reptiles. So far, you're doing all right. If you go to cars, <laughs> or something, I'm going to bring you back. But you know, so yeah, far right. you're doing all right. But if you start um, playing stoner witch or something, then we'll know we're losing you. Yeah, but, then I got another thing. I don't know what to do. There so, but um, <laughs> so <laughs> so with like, I, I mean, is this the effect? You are these the crown giant anoles that you said that you, like? Is that what you observed? Yes. Is that you were getting infertiles? Okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, um, and, and we're working with a few different species, um, and, you know, they're basically 20-inch anoles from Cuba, and, um, yeah, across the board, we were getting additional infertiles, and um, 
I, I'm one of the thing, another thing that started to steer me that in that direction was this guy named Chuck Horn who breeds uh, Anola Smallwoodi, which is uh, uh, one of the crown giants, and he's produced a ton of them, and, and he only has a pair, and he's done really really well with them. So I, I asked him about how he was. And he's basically delivering a lot of um, larger water droplets, you know, multiple times a day, and so he's getting the hydration in there that way. Um, hmm. But a, after I after I started really looking about how at how you know we collect the anoles in the wild here in Florida, how they um, you know they're out at night, you know even when it's cool because it takes a fairly you know uh, in, even in the winter time if it's you know if it's cold out they'll get due and they're out in that you can catch these tropical lizards out at 3 a.m. in the morning you know drinking and that's where they get. Uh, most of their hydration from and most arboreal snakes they tend to basically make kind of a bowl in the air with their the way they coil up and they put their head in that large coil so i think i think they're sitting out on the ends of those branches i think they get primarily most of their um this is probably already known stuff anyway so i'm probably just talking no, to no, the you're fine. It's, no it's, man <laughs> you're, you're right on track trust we'll we'll ring you in if you need to but no you're doing really good man but I think, but so I, what but other, I think that's. Yeah. Go ahead, dude. Yeah, I was just gonna say, what else you keep? So you got smallwood eyed, yeah, and you had. I think you said you were getting Barracoae and Latea galeris and stuff like that too, right? Yeah, we have um, Lutegolaris. Um, I was bringing Barracoae. I sold them off well, two years ago, but I'm actually trying to get some more of those back because uh, they were pretty cool. And then we have the Equestris morphs. Um, nice. So. Uh, so yeah, so and I'm testing out this fogging theory with um with some with a desert species that of lizard that's arboreal and Alan Rapashi is screwing with me in text while I'm talking to you guys because he knows I'm on here right now. So. <laughs> um, right, the Abronia. Right. I would think those would fit yeah. into your box too, man. <laughs> Yeah, you know, actually, I'm kind of moving away um, from a lot of the smaller lizards. I don't, I don't know. I think I was telling you, but I'm really kind of going back to doing uh, – I'm really interested in um, – The snake stuff. Pretty much. Yeah. I, yeah, I had always intended to, to have a lot of Corallus, and um, they were always, like, super high. And for a variety of reasons, I just never – I mean, I bred, you know, Hortulanus when I was a kid for a while and uh, and stuff like that, but – I never really was was serious, and I and I really wanted to get Amazon basins and Sanzinia again and stuff like that. So that's really right. kind of where where the future where we're going. We're setting up some chameleons armed with this, you know, hydration method. I think um, I think it's going to possibly open. Up, I think it's going to solve a lot of problems with with chameleon breeding. Um, okay. There's very few species that have been that are have ever been bred in captivity at all. Um, and I'm really, the more I look into this, the the more I think that basically across the board, we just have not paid enough attention to hydration. We, we kind of think that the water bowl or, or whatever, you know, some misting is enough. And I don't think it's nearly enough. Um, I think anything that doesn't naturally live around water, you know, think, uh, a lot of the things that do really well in captivity are also things that that will, you know, that are found near waterways. You know, they're, they, sure. they right. tend to congregate around around that. So the things that 
arboreal things in particular tend to be a little touchy and I think they're touchy for the most part because of, of um, because of their water collection method is primarily due at night most of the year. And uh, so I'm screwing around with it. Like I said, I've got the, I got two different uh, test subjects of a desert lizard that I don't want to mention right now, because <laughs> if I do, okay. I'll hear all this crap for it later. They're like, how can you subject them to that? But, right. but yeah, actually it's made an enormous difference in them. The things that I'm running this on, they look a million times better than they do um, without it. And they're just getting their water by fogging them at night. And they, when I, when I get there in the morning, their cage is soaked. But an hour after I turn the lights on, it's all burned off. And, and I mean, I think that's the key. I think, you know, you deliver it heavy, mimic the dew that you would, that they would see where they, they're from. And then you make sure that it burns off within an hour or two. So, of lights on so that they have a defined um, their day is, is, is dry and warm and their nights are cool and wet. And it does seem to be, it does seem to be a, a game changer, at least for the things that I'm, I'm testing it on. I'm going to run tests with quite a few things. Yeah. I mean, so, it makes a ton of sense, man. Intuitively, like, you know, I think you're totally right. You talk through it and it's like, yeah, actually that, that totally makes sense, both in terms of, I mean, you see, you get some stuff. Candelia don't seem to mind terribly being sprayed, but most stuff, they're, you know, as you say, they look like the dog, you know, you're <laughs> spraying the dog. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and just what happens in anywhere at night, right, is you get that, that dew build up in the morning, reg- sort of regardless of the temperature. When you, when you go out in your car, you know, or after covered you know, in water. nightfall, it's covered in water. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of where I'm going with that. So I'm if we get this property, I'm going to build all my. Uh, I've been setting up, uh, picking up caninus and portulanus, and I've got some sanzinia. Hopefully, I'll get in a few months. But I'm going to set all that stuff up in indoor, outdoor, basically roll in, roll out kind oh, of cages. Cool. Right. Um, so uh, and and they're all going to have. I'm basically going to. Uh, well, we get due pretty much, yeah, like you were saying, I mean, pretty much as long as they're outside at night, um, they'll pretty much all get, you know, a heavy dew thing. But I think that probably, I think the initial, you know, um, ideas that we had a long time ago about, uh, you know, with a lot of the, the problems that we were seeing with a lot of various, you know, reptiles from boas and to, uh, you know, pythons to, um to chameleons and stuff. I think, I really think uh, it's very heavily centered around this. I, I think, I think we, we need to, we're very, very well versed on, um, you know, heat cycles and light cycles and food cycles, but I don't think we've really, really as an industry or as a hobby looked at uh, hydration cycles. I think it's always kind of been like, well, the bowl of water is good enough. Why don't you recognize this object? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and if you think about it, I mean, things can survive a long time without food, but nothing goes very long without water. No. So water yeah. is probably technically way more important than than um, than food or light or, or heat or any of that. So my experience and Even if they're surviving, rep- it's really hard on them, the kidneys and stuff, right? You know, so that's maybe exactly. 
Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's harder to tell. I mean, you can tell when a when an animal is is you know starving and it's really thin, but it's really hard to tell if they're just slightly dehydrated. If they have a severe dehydration, you can see it. But sure. right. I think that most, I think we're keeping stuff, or at least in the case of some of these things, that where they're just like barely there. You know, they're they they've got enough to survive, but they don't really have enough to thrive. And so I think. Uh, and and to bring up something Alan Rapashi said, uh, he's like, you know, we keep everything in beef jerky makers. <laughs> right. Yeah, which, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Which, uh, <laughs> especially you put the screen top on there. You got if you're heating with a light on a screen top. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah. you might as well be you know making some jerky. Yeah. Jesus. So uh, we're kind of sucking the all the, the fluids out of them and. We're not really replacing it in, in, in the way that I think we need to replace it. So I don't know. It's just something I'm screwing around with. It may end up being nothing. I could be totally off base here. I don't but, think um, so. Yeah, no, it sounds, it sounds, it's pretty sound and it, uh, it sounds awesome. I mean, so are you trying this with all this? Are you going to try this pretty much with all the species that you're working with currently when it comes to those guys or just kind of limit it to, uh, I guess, the the anoles, the chameleons, maybe a few other things like that. No, um, actually, all of, basically anything that doesn't naturally occur around water. So you know, we're all the all the corallus are going to have this set up. Uh, okay. The um, you know and um, you know all the most of the lizards, anything that lives. I mean, I even have Timor monitors on this right now. Um, wow. So <laughs> they. They're getting a nightly do, and they, and they look actually. I mean, they look pretty good. So I mean, right, pretty I, like I, I just the whole fleshed out and look great, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's just like they 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 shed seems to be better and stuff. So, um, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I'm 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 going to test this hard for the next year or two, and um, with a lot of things, and see uh, see if I can. You know, I'm going to really try to get if the anole thing is completely fixed which it does appear that this was the silver bullet at least for them um we'll see how well i actually do with you know things like corallus and stuff and um you know and then i'm gonna start screwing around with some of the rare chameleons that are out there that um that have been proven to be difficult to produce in captivity so um, you getting some parsons and stuff they they might be on the list, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re- I I honestly I had those in like the early nineties. I I was really bummed when you couldn't get them for all those years, and now they're kind of right. making a comeback. Yeah, that's that's an amazing chameleon. It's just uh, I'm a, I'm actually going to to try to work on Meller's chameleon, which is another one of the right. big giant ones. Uh, yeah, I love Meller's. Um, yeah, yeah, and Meller's have proven to be you know quite difficult and i i think i mean they're 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 a little bit of a cooler thing so i'm gonna have to you know make sure i keep their temps down and stuff so there's gonna be a little bit of a challenge to do outdoors here but i mean i bred crested geckos outdoors in florida and everybody <laughs> oh you can't get them above 78 <laughs> degrees and you could go out and temp gun there and they're 95 you know 98 degrees and they're they're doing just fine so obviously i didn't have them sitting in full sun being blasted but sure so yeah, what you gotta get is some Namaquensis, man. Those are the best. Yeah, those I, are bad little things, I, man. I know, man. I, I like those. I, I don't think anybody has them, do they? I, 
I don't think so. I was hoping that you uh, you'd say, "Oh yeah, totally, man." But uh, I don't no, think so. I have several, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been I've been on the lookout for that one for a long time. I don't think I don't think there's any mistakes. I mean, every once in a while, somebody will surprise you and pop up with something. You're like, "How that?" Uh, never mind. I don't want to know how you got it. <laughs> I don't want to know. Don't tell me, man. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But um, totally. Yeah, I mean, dude, there's a lot of cool stuff. Um, out there, there's a lot of things that are being ignored. Um, you know, like I hear you guys on here talking about scrub pythons and stuff, and I mean that that's something that needs to be fixed before they, you know, you can't get them at all anymore and they vanish from mm-hmm. forever. So um, I, I think, uh, I mean, I'm going to start working on some of that stuff that I can. Uh, scrubs are something I've been, I've had them before, and I always really liked them. They're this you know giant evil tree snake but um, yeah pretty much is pretty one. much <laughs> the nail on the head that's what they are yeah it's a giant evil yeah. tree snake in many different colors yeah. but you know right exactly uh, yeah i like giant evil tree snakes though so i'm good with that who doesn't but exactly um, anyways if you can run if you can um run down uh kind of how you set up your anoles, um, also, you know, kind of touch on maybe how you set them up inside versus outside. Yeah, this yeah, is actually, your time for the sales pitch, saying we can all do it. Yeah, you do don't need UV, you do commercial diet, <laughs> fruit, you know, all this stuff. Saying, you know, this is the sales pitch to go with that beautiful lizard you brought out to Tinley, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're actually they're actually very very simple. Um, We've kind of I've kind of stripped it down a few different times. Um, you can go with a full bioactive rainforest kind of thing if that's your your preference, and they'll do great. Um, they need temperatures. They need a daily high of about 86. Um, nighttime lows they can take it down into the 40s. So any kind of normal you know range down in the 60s or whatever you keep your house at is perfect. Um, they uh, the hydration thing, like I said, they need a considerable amount of water um it's not it's just not enough just to spray them but i mean you know the the i think it's the not the mist king but the monsoons exoterra monsoons i think is what we have but anyway any of those misting uh things that'll that'll let you adjust it so it can put out large droplets of water because i find that misting if you miss them with a spray, you know, kind of a spray, it just seems to irritate them. But if you give them the large droplets, they do really well with that. And then we okay. fog them at night with a fogger. Um, uh, they, we keep them in pairs uh, year round. We never separate. Um, okay. And we are using 18 by 18 by 24 inch. Although the 18 by 18 by 36 inch tanks would be better it's just at the time when I first started this, all that was available was the 24-inch. So that's the only thing I bought. And I had a ton of them, so I'm not really ready to switch them over. But, um, <laughs> I'm not going to throw they, them out and get the other one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I got you. <laughs> no, it works. <laughs> but, but the 18 by 18 by 36 uh, glass-fronted tanks are perfect. Um, you, they can be kept in screen cages. Uh, there's a lot of different screen cages out there, but we find that in general, they some of them will rub their nose on it, and I can't stand that, so that's why I don't do that. Um, outdoors, we keep them in basically uh, things that I make myself. They're uh, 
they're 18 by 18 by 36 inch cubes with vinyl coated wire and, and pressure treated lumber and we keep them outdoors and um interiors in all the cages we use kind of a, the the chondro uh uh, perch thing, you know, we use P- two inch or no, not two inch. It's uh, one and a half, one inch or one and a half inch PVC. I can't remember, but we use small. Mm-hmm. We can use different sizes, but we have perches sure. just like you would for any arboreal snake. Um, some, and then we also attach um, some that uh, you know go up and down. There's some vertical and some horizontal um, perches, and I try to keep the bottoms, the floors completely empty other than a nesting medium um, for a couple of reasons. One, they lay one egg um, up about every, we've had them lay one egg every three days, three to seven days. um, And they'll do that all year, most of the year anyway. It maybe take three months off. Um, It really seems to be dependent on how much they get fed, obviously, and how much uh, water they get. But if they, if they're, peak operating capacity. They can give you a single egg every three to seven days. Um, They tend to be masters of hiding the egg. So I don't have (laughs) anything on the floors other than, other than nesting mediums so that I just have one spot to look. So I don't have to lift up stuff and look underneath it. So everything in the cages we have is hanging. Um, Mm. So the floors are completely bare and they'll come down uh, and they'll deposit one egg and, you know, and the egg is about uh, it's about the size of a leopard gecko egg, so that's wow, okay. only an inch. Whoa! Yeah, four four and a half inch lizard hatches from it, so it's a big it's a big uh, it's a nice big lizard. And they use um, yeah, we're not talking about the too. little eggs I'll get from the uh, when I order brown and olds from Florida, right? And they right. lay those little uh, tiny things, and it's like. That look right. bad. They all look bad, and then a oh, few, you horrible. know, handful of weeks later, they still hatch out. It's like these little tiny half-inch things. <laughs> okay, it's just oh, a man, whole different for, ball game. When I first got into those big anoles, I had the bright idea of going around and getting all these rare little anole species. These, a lot of them were beautiful, and I, I was like, oh, this is gonna sure. be great. You know, I'm gonna develop this whole new section of herpetoculture. You know, like everybody's gonna be totally into this, and. I got all these little anoles. I bred them. I got these, like you said, tiny little eggs, like grains baby. of rice. <laughs> yeah, they were real. Oh. Man, some of them were lay- <laughs> some of those were laying eggs for months, and I had no idea because I'm looking for an <laughs> egg, that, you know, that actually looked like an egg, you know. And then I realized, oh my God, it's these oh, grains of rice eggs. that are over here. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up hatching these things, and and a lot of them would hatch, and they weren't even big enough to eat a fruit fly. So I was like, ah. This just, I'm just not, I had bean beetles, I was, yeah, I was keeping, I was raising the deli cups and trying to feed them these tiny little bean beetles, and I was just like, ah, screw it. Nope, nope, nope. Nope. Yeah, man, I can't I even imagine to, I, opening I, the lids on those things, they'll just go flying, right? I mean, I'm sure you have a handful I, I, of those I, stories. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some living around my old house. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, so, I mean, I have to, yeah. Yeah, you can't chase it down. exactly. You, if it hits the floor, you can't even find it. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I ended up scrapping that. I ended up eventually just selling on the Crown Giants. I was like, you know, these are perfect. They're super easy. They We feed them. Um, uh, another thing is they'll pretty much all the we found will eat uh, 
things like the Rapashi uh, Crested Gecko diet or his grubs and fruit diet. We use his grubs and fruit diet primarily um, as their as that part of that segment of their diet. We also feed them hornworms. Um, we feed them um, brown and oils. Uh, they they definitely. I use the brown and oils during the breeding season. I I, I feel like the extra calcium they get the skeletal structure. And, sure. mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and all that is beneficial. Um, and they that that anole, I can't tell you how many times when I was catching anoles for a living in Miami that I would noose a small anole, and before I could uh-huh. get out of the tree, this monster keep... night anole would appear out of nowhere <laughs> and swallow the freaking the 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 oh, small anole God. that I had on my line. It was like a shark grabbing a, a snapper. Yeah. Oh. So, uh, so I was like, so I was like, yeah, they definitely eat a lot of anoles. So um, we include that <laughs> as part of their diet. And um, there's something else. Uh, Do they eat fruit think, and stuff? Yeah. Yes. And actually, that's one of the reasons why we use the repashing grubs and fruit, but we also give them um, fresh fruits depending on what's available. They eat um, raspberries, bananas. They're probably – the crown giant oil is probably very, very similar to the lichianus gecko as far as what it eats and, you know, its habits and – Another thing I noticed, and I discovered this like back when I was a kid, is that if I caught, if I found a one sex, like I would drive around and catch uh-huh. these giant anoles, and if you caught one sex, you were almost guaranteed yeah, that if you just stood there for a minute and looked, you would find the opposite sex in the same tree with it. So um, that's yeah, you kind said Lichianus. Are they paraselective like that? Yeah. I mean, you, you led right into where I thought you might be going. Okay. Right. I think I, I do believe they are. And that's one of the reasons why we keep them. We basically pair them up and, and we, we leave them alone. I mean, I, I, I have had one male and up to four females together with no issues at all, but I okay. definitely lean more towards, I, we've had better success, better luck by keeping them in pairs. So basically once we get them set up in a pair, we just, we never separate. And, um, and that's kind of what I saw, you know, if you think about it, and I think it's probably the case with a lot of maybe, maybe not just them, but, uh, I think arboreal lizards in general, I mean, if you think about it, they're kind of living these little, a tree is basically sure. an island. And, um, I think that that's the dominant pair that lives you know, in their own little island and they, that's, that's their spot. And so it just seemed like, um, we always, it was always that way. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I, I would noose a big male and pull it in and think, oh, let me look. And then sure enough, the female was always right there and, or vice versa. Huh. So wow. when, I, when I started doing them, that was something I added to, uh, and it works really good. Um, that part's been very simple. So, uh, At what age can you, or age or size, can you sex them? So that like yeah. if you're selling them to folks and stuff, they, they can know they're getting a pair, that sort of thing. Well, so so far, and it's proven. I got this information a couple of years ago from somebody in Germany, and so far, it's proven 100% correct. Okay. Um, the females, when they're born, are visibly banded, and the banded ones are all females, and the males do not have the banding, and it huh. has proven across the board for all. Them, so it's been super easy. I mean, every every banded one I've held back has been a female. And wow. every non-banded one we've held back has been a male. So oh, okay. that's super. That, yeah, that makes sure. it easy. That's yeah, all of, right. I wish carpet yeah. were that easy. You know, the <laughs> right? <was> a boy. <laughs> yeah. I wish. 
I've got blue tongue skinks at the warehouse. Let me tell you, I look at them things and go, come on. Tell me. I, I, I've, had, I've had them for a year, and I don't even know what the hell some of those are. I, I just, oh, God. I, it's like nothing you can do. I mean, monitors are almost as bad, but oh, yeah. I mean, at least oh, they yeah. give you a little more visible cues, but. Freaking blue. Well, and then you get the sneaker mails and all the all that junk too. And the dwarf monitor thing, right? I remember it was always, and I don't know if this is still the the thought or whatever. Some guy was telling me, uh, he's like, oh, well, if they have dots within their ocelli between the base of their tails, then those are males, or you know, something like. And it's just like, oh my god, Jesus, this is. (laughs) He's grabbing at this point. (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, okay, man, I don't know, but you know, those we're talking Kims and stuff. So, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard all that stuff too. I, uh, I honestly, with with the monitors, I just, I just, I get, I give up. Like, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> you know, you know, I, I just uh, long ago I realized, you know, the only way I'm going to find out is when they lay eggs or I see them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's that's pretty that's pretty much. Uh, there's a bunch that I guess, and use them about sixty seventy percent of the time I guess right, but. Every once in a while, you get one. You're like, "Oh man, I'm sure that's a female." You know, the head looks small, right? The tail yeah. base looks small. This, this has got to be. And then, you know, one day, it just you'll see it copulating with one known female, and then you know you'll realize that, oh well, I guess I was wrong. That's a male. But. Well, and then sometimes they just do that too, right? You get those dominant females that'll breed other females, oh, yeah. and all sorts of junk. Yeah, yeah. I had that. I had that with blue, the first for around the blue tegus. I had. I, I had held back, um, I guess it was like 97. I held back a whole bunch of tegu, blue tegus because the first uh-huh. time I rolled those out to the public, man, I, I was absolutely swamped. People bought – I sold out like within a week, and I was like, oh, you know, this is awesome, so I'll just hold back more. So I held back like 20 of them, and almost all of those females were like these super dominant – they ripped off the hemipenes of the males. Oh, they, oh, they, oh my God! It was it was a bloodbath. I, I I went out there one day and I saw blood in one of the cages. I was like, "What the hell?" And I thought, "Well, maybe you know somebody nicked themselves on something, so I'm searching for like a, a random loose nail. Couldn't figure it out. Then I start over the course of a few months, I started seeing more blood. And one day, I was I at the time I kept my blue taggers in trios, and so one day I'm out there working, in the, and and I walk by the cage and I see a blue t- um, one of my males copulating with a female, and I watch the other female stick her nose under there, grab the male's hemipene, and rip oh. it off right in front of me. Oh. And, and I was oh, like, God. <laughs> "Well, that's where this is coming from." And then I started checking. I, re- I realized that a lot of mine were single peen females. Oh now. God. Oh, and. Uh, yeah, it was a disaster. I had to go back to the drawing board on that one. Wow. I, don't th- I don't think I ever. I don't think I ever told anybody that. I mean, friends know, but I don't think oh I ever publicly talked about that. Yeah, it was a bad time. That was a setback. These are horrible creatures. <laughs> yeah, the major setback. Yeah. Oh yeah. God. Wow. But a year later, that that fixed itself. I don't. I honestly am at a loss to explain that. I never saw that again. But that entire round of females were like these super dominant. They females. They would breed the other females, and, yeah. and they would they would castrate the males. They were just they were <laughs> psychotic. That's what they were. Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, oh I, I, 
and I, I guess we'll kind of get into it real quick. I mean, like, what kind of monitor species are you working with? Because I have a friend who works with a lot of albigularis, and he has had every once in a while somebody nips a hemipene, but that's, you know, that like I think once. I think it happened once. So, I mean, what monitors are you working with currently? Um, these days, well, in the past, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I was you got to tell about the crocodile. <laughs> I was, I was, I think I'm, I was the first private sector person to breed crocodile monitors, um, and then I did shit. it for a few years. Um, that was like in '96 or '97, and then I yes. did it up until like 2001, I think. I was almost a very large and nine and a half foot male, basically almost bit me in the face. Oh he my was god! Came. <laughs> And uh, my ass. <laughs> you know, and I had, right. and I, yeah, I had six very large, uh, three pairs of very large crocodile monitors, and um, they they're probably to this day they were the they're probably I consider them the best thing I ever did. Um, they were definitely something that I I absolutely love those things to death. I do not own them anymore. I probably will never revisit that project again. But um, at the time. I I had this huge male that I that I mean there are photos on my Facebook of, that I found and I I uploaded that uh, from that period of time where I was hand feeding them you know rats at, by hand in retrospect right. it was stupid because if they make okay. mistakes, you know, a, croc, <laughs> a croc monitor bite is very bad but I had I really had a lot of trust in this animal and he was something that I used to you know I used to interact with all the time. Right. And um, I had a whole bunch of people come down to see the collection. I'm pretty sure it was right around uh, the Daytona show, uh, which was actually in Orlando at the time. Mm-hmm. And so they were down, and I was showing off like a jackass. And I went in the cage with him, and you know I had a rat. And he came out, and I hand-fed him, and everybody was doing it on. Because he was, at the time, probably, if not the largest one, he was one of the largest ones in captivity. And um, he was this big monster. And mm-hmm. so I fed him and, uh, and I was talking to the people in front of me and I noticed that every people, their faces are starting to change. And I hear the chain link fence kind of moving and I see out of the corner of my eye, he had crawled up on head level with me on the chain link and he was coming right at my face with his mouth. Oh open. He, he wanted to, <laughs> he did, he wanted me out and, uh, uh-huh. and I grabbed him. Right as his head got close, I grabbed him by the neck, and he grabbed me with his front feet. He wrapped his front uh, feet around my wrist, and I threw him back across the cage. He was huge, and he had enormous, you know, like bird of prey talons on him. Mm-hmm. I threw him across the cage, and then I tried to get out of there. He hit the wire, landed on the ground, and he came back after me. He chased oh me out. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, uh, this is everything I ever feared in a monitor. It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> And, and unfortunately, my my uh, wife at the time witnessed this, and uh, she was just like, "That's it." <laughs> well, that's, yeah. She's like, you know, we you've been messing around with these things for. I ended up keeping them for another year or two, and then uh, and then finally, she just she just kept hammering on me. She's like, you know, somebody's going to get hurt, and you're going to end up in the hospital, you know, or or worse. And so I just I sold them off and, and got out of it. But yeah, I mean, the first one I ever hatched. I, it yeah. took like I don't remember like seven or nine months. I can't remember how long the incubation yeah, was, right. but it was a long yeah, yeah. time. And I kept thinking during it, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, they're gonna, it's dead. And I was like, nope, I'm gonna wait. Egg still looks good. So 
eventually when I hatched the first one, it was enormous. And I was so excited that I ripped the lid off the box and I just grabbed <laughs> it without thinking. That uh-huh. thing nipped me right out of the egg, nipped me on my <laughs> finger, and it looked like you took razor blades and just sliced oh it down. Oh, my God. I was bleeding everywhere, and I, I was giggling my ass off, though. I was like, oh, I, I, produced, I produced Salvadora, you know, and I was calling dying, all my buddies. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was calling. Tell the, you know what's funny about that is that freaking the night that I had, like, the albino blue tagus, I had no – when I got the original blue tegus, I had no idea that they were, that albinos were impossible with them. Mm. And um, I, the first time I started line breeding the the offspring uh, of the original ones, because there was only really only 1.2 or 1.3 of the original ones that ever bred. So almost all of them in captivity today come from this very small um, founding group. Um, and where are those from? Because I don't know much about tegus, man. Where I Beyond um, seeing the sausages on, you know, Instagram and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I don't, well, I, I don't know much about. Well, I, I got them from International Fisheries, who imported them. Uh, they told me at the time they imported them from Colombia. I have since, you know, found out over the years that they probably were collected in Brazil. Okay. And, nice. Um, okay. Super legal. Cool. But, Love it. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they're. I've seen photos of them on the ground in Brazil. So they're definitely from that area. Um, and uh, so anyway, so I started line breeding them for, to make the blue more intense and freaking the first time I did it, I'll pop <laughs> albinos. Oh and, and, and the day that uh. happened, I mean, I, the funny thing about that is for years, I would go to the incubator and open it and, and tell my wife, Stella at the time, I was like, oh, there's albinos in here. And she'd be like, you know, fuck you, you're lying, whatever. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I had cried wolf so many times that when it actually did happen, <laughs> no one believed you. Didn't believe me. And she would, not, she would not leave her computer and come in the room. To, and I'm like, I'm telling you, there's albinos in this box. And there are albino blue tigers. And she was like, yeah, whatever. And she's just doing her thing. And so finally I go in there and I carry the box in there and I'm shaking and she looked at it uh-huh. and we were like, holy crap, I can't believe it. And so it was like 1 a.m. in the morning or something. And I called Alan Rafashi at his house and I'm like, dude, I just hatched albinos. And, and I woke him up and he, he, was like, awesome. he was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the reaction I would expect from all my friends if I ever called them and said, I, you know, hatched out a brand new morph. They'd probably be like, you're stupid and hang up. I'd be like, really? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. if they're an old school reptile guy. Come on, man. What's that yeah. about? Yeah, uh, exactly. It's amazing. Yeah, it was a, that was a freak thing. But, uh, but yeah, so anyway, with the croc monitors, you know, I had done them for a few years and uh, I've actually been helping Crutchfield a little bit if he has any questions because he's trying to do it right now. And, I think well, he's probably going to produce them this year. Well, you know, I mean, I, I know his hand probably still looks like a, you know, uh, when <laughs> yeah. You put it through the grinder a little bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, at 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 that point, if you're if you're sacrificing your hand, you better got. I, I mean, like, I'd be mad. <laughs> Hopefully, get something. Him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, give me something. You took my hand away. Give me an egg. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. That. that yeah, that me, was but, a. Uh, that was a total freak thing too. I mean, that was, that was one of those unavoidable things. I know that he got some, he caught some shit for it 
but but I mean, really, when that ha- happened, he was just trying to break up. Um, the fight. He did something I did. When mm. I put mine together, I let him duke it out. I was just yeah. like, you know what? Go ahead and Figure work it out because I'm not going to get in the middle of that blender. And yeah. uh, when you when you when you because I know for, from past experience that with most of those monitors, if you let them duke it out initially, they'll settle in and they'll be fine after that. Mm-hmm. And that was and probably more than any other reason. I think that's why I was successful with the Croc monitors for as long as I was. Were, and I think a lot of people, I, I know Stan Cheers produced them too. I suspect he probably was doing a similar thing to what I was doing where you, know, you just kind of, once you get them together, you got to leave them together. Because right. yeah. moving them around and screwing with them is going to, is going to cause issues. So, um, and Crutchfield is going through the process now of actually trying to get them to be together. And he obviously is uh you know, he didn't want her, he didn't want to see that one get ripped up and one of them right. was much larger than the other one. So he went in there to intervene, you know, because you really don't have much if you're gonna do something, you don't have time to think about it. They are <laughs> yeah, you just in, gotta go. In, 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 sure. Yeah, you just gotta do it. So and that's that's the reason that he got nipped and I mean he's lucky that but they're they're capable yeah. of catastrophic damage. They're they it, are. as far as I'm concerned, they are every bit as dangerous as a King Cobra, um, just mm-hmm. in a different yeah. way. I mean they're super intelligent they're very fast they have all the equipment you know both in their mouth and on the ends of their hands to do a lot of damage well, and that tail is not, not nothing either man exactly i mean you, you know actually i've never i was never ever whipped by one and in my experience really? they use that they use that tail solely as a distraction mine okay. would roll the tail when they were agitated yeah they i mean they'll the curl it super and, yeah yeah yeah, they would use that to distract your eyes, and then they come around with that freaking mouth. <laughs> They're coming at your face. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. No. So never look at the tail. Don't watch the tail. All right. It, yeah. Oh, God. are one of those animals that when I see, like, a 14-year-old kid leaving a reptile show with it, I'm like, dear Lord, that can only end well. So, you know. Yeah, and it's yeah right this will go well with, for everyone. Exactly, and I'm right, in Pennsylvania, huh? so I, I see them leave with the venomous and the crocodiles and croc monitors and stuff. So it, all of that is bad, in my opinion. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the way I, honestly, I'm mixed on that. I mean, I really, I really think that, um, I hate being, saying that, you know, all, you know, this person shouldn't have that thing or whatever, but mm-hmm. those things are on a level mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's just, that's just not, they, they just, they require a, you know, an extreme amount of respect. And the, and a lot of the urban dinosaur thing, which is cool, I mean, you know, whatever. I get it. If that's your thing, that's fine. But, I mean, I see a lot of people buying these things, and the prices on croc monitors are through the roof now because of – and the guys that are buying them, for the most part, are not guys that are going to breed them. They're guys that want a badass pet. Right. And I yeah. just <laughs> think that that's a bad idea to have you got a lion walking in there, down man. the beach. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and dragging them around in public. I mean, you know, I, I understand they're tame animals. I had tame ones myself, but one almost bit me in the Until face. It wasn't. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and, and what if, you know, I, what if you're dragging that to a reptile show and some little kid, you know, no, pokes no, it in the no, nostrils no. or something and it, and it just reacts. Even if it's not, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they, 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 the dentition on those things can, inflict catastrophic damage. I've known enough people that have had serious bites from them that uh, fortunately I wasn't one of them other than the 
the uh, the first baby croc monitor attack of 2000, <laughs> 1999. But but yeah, I, I never I never had anything like uh, that required any kind of stitches. So, what monitors are you working with currently? You don't have any crocs. Uh, so what do we got now? No, Timor's and um, and the Cape form of the Albigularis. I pretty much. Kind of bounce back and forth with them. I produced two clutches of those last year. Um, may produce another clutch this year. I don't know. They're kind of. I moved around a couple times last year, and I kind of threw them off. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they're going to go right now. They kind of. They, I think they're settling in again. But yeah, I mean, those are super easy, and uh, I produced those off and on since the mid '90s or so. Um, That's cool. They're just kind of one of those things, but. Yeah, I, can, I honestly I can't wait to get those outside because inside, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Pack a shovel, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 My, my, and you can my hear it. Has, yeah, it comes right out. It's horrible. Right. Like my friend has four or five cages full of blackthroat monitors at his place, and we're in Pennsylvania, so they're all indoors. So uh, yeah, you know, it takes him a while to work through everybody, but not you know, there's certain days I don't want to go over. So yeah. Oh yeah, dude! Props to all those guys that do those big monitors indoors. Mm-hmm. You're freaking awesome because I don't have it in me anymore. I'm just like, yeah, these are either going outside or they're going. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I just, uh, you know, I, I like those. The nowadays, you know, I'm I'm almost fifty. I'm like, yeah, you know, I really don't want to be slogging around with all these big things anymore. I want a snake that sits on a tree and shits once a month, and <laughs> you know. <laughs> Each one from the stick when I move it, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can't really assault you, and you know, I don't know. It's kind of where I'm going. I look at more chameleons. I mean, we have we have a ton of bearded dragons. That's that's our primary income, and um, and those things. They're another, you know, indoors. They're they're just. I mean, if you have one in a tank, I'm sure it's fantastic. But if you've got a hundred of them to take care of, oh my god! No, 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 no. no, no, no. No, thank it's you. Just con- and it's just constant cleaning, and uh, it's like, yeah, we got to get someplace and get this stuff outside because, uh, <laughs> you know, this is crazy. Well, what's the tegu stuff you're doing now, too? Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. Last year, Laura Roberts proved out the anatheristic red tegu, so it's a new mutation. It's really cool. Um, that actually was kind of what got me back to doing tegus again. I swore after the collapse of my tegu farm in 2006 that I would never touch tegus again. I was like, that's it. I did it. I'm done. Finished. And then she had to go have that thing born. And, and I saw it. them and I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn it. You know, I, I really got to have those. So, so needless to say, now I have, um, I have two albinos and two anatheristics. So I'm working, hopefully, uh, there's still a chance they might go this year, but it's not looking like it. It'll probably be next year, but uh, next year I'll produce double heads and work on making uh, snow the real snow tegu. Right. What um, was the old snow tegu? Be... Right. I, I think I've seen. You used to see that language thrown around. What What was that? Just that was actually my fault. Okay. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> when I when I the first round of albinos that I hatched were all, um, they all had like a lot of purple on them. They were really patterned. So they were basically a T positive. And then some of my het females started throwing these pink ones um, that were 
very light-eyed. You know, they were T negatives, and as they grew up, they became solid white. They lost all their color. So in an effort to differentiate them, and, and I had produced almost no T negatives. So I had like I had hatched like three out of out of like twenty five uh, albinos. Okay. Only three of them were like that. So I I obviously I put a higher price tag on them and I called them a snow, not a true snow, but you know I, because they turned solid white. So sure. that was kind of what I I never expected an actual anatheristic tegu to ever pop up anyway. So I figured you know this sure is, who uh, cares we have two yeah, different forms yeah. And both forms can throw both colors of uh, both phases. So it's kind of like the retics, you know, where they have like the right. they have different, the different types, different, yeah, um, different, right, yeah, all the different yeah. colors out of them, sure. Right. So, um, but at the time, I wasn't really sure what I was looking at, and uh, you know, so I just gave them a generic uh, kind of name that people could relate to. And but now, now we actually have anatheristics, and. Uh, so now there can be an actual snow tegu, that, you know, the double homozygous thing. So I, uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to that. I think that'll be cool. Who knows? I, I honestly am not really sure what a actual snow tegu is going to look like because I have a feeling <laughs> because these are actually hybrids because you can't really mm-hmm. make a, you know, there's no pure. Well, there is a pure albino red, but the guy that has them has yet to produce them, and from what I was told, it doesn't look likely that they're, we're ever going to see them outside of the one or two that exist, but okay. who knows? I don't know. I can't really find out much information about that project. Um, so maybe one day we can make pure ones, but for now, there are going to be crosses between uh, blue albinos and red anaries. And, uh, the anatheristic's really cool. I mean, it doesn't look anything like you know, you would think an anatheristic red tegu is a big deal. It's a black and white tegu. It should look, you know, but it doesn't. It's kind of this smoky, ashy, gray thing, and it's got, you know, the patterning is different. Um, they're, they're actually pretty cool. Yeah, I dig them. I think, uh, I think it's a solid project. Um, tegus are apparently a much bigger deal now than when I was doing them, like, <laughs> like the Central American yeah. boas. No one's like everything yeah, else. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, after so what, out, what you're they, saying is we need to get it into what you're doing now because in 10 years it's going to be the thing exactly. that everybody so we wants. We're going to get all the anoles right now, and then right, you know. pretty much. <laughs> I honestly, that's the story of my life, man. I've always been a. I'm all because you know what it is is that I don't like to do what everybody else is doing. So if I see everybody <laughs> going one direction, I usually go the other direction. The other one, yeah. Find my own. Th- just I, I don't know. Part of it's I don't really. Uh, I just don't want to really want to deal with competition. And part of it is I don't like to sell things. So I like to do things that sell themselves and I don't really have to (laughs) compete in that market. So, you know, if I'm the only guy that has it and you want it, you you know, it's it's easy. (laughs) Sure, it works yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked at ball pythons multiple times and then I look at the landscape and I'm like, yeah, that's a mountain I'm not climbing. (laughs) So I just, uh, you know, yeah, it's the same thing with all that stuff. So I kind of stay away from the really popular stuff. Although I do do bearded dragons, and I, I right. honestly don't know don't know why. But <laughs> the most popular of all, right? Yeah, okay. the the yeah the quintessential pet lizard. But so basically, if Ron is trying to sell like an entire group of something, hold buy it, hold on to it for five years, and then you'll make bank. So that's you know, pretty much. You, pretty you much know what's it? funny about that is. Dude, I was trying to sell those blood bows for it was like twelve hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, and I could not give them away. And I quit. 
I sell them all. And two years later, I'm at a reptile show and I see a blood bow on a table for five grand. And I'm like, what the, what the hell is I start, that? <laughs> I start asking around and I'm like, oh yeah, everybody wants this, them now because they're small. And I'm, I'm like, where the hell was everybody 12 years ago? I'm like, I'm like, I'm over there in the corner starving. I can't, everybody's telling me, all oh, those things suck because they're from Central America. And then I come, I go into Daytona in 2003 and everybody's like, oh, these are the greatest thing ever. They're, they only get four feet. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So, I'd, I'd be in the fetal position in one of the aisles. Like, I would have just laid down right there and been like, okay, I need a minute. So, like, yeah, that, that oh, sucks. God. Yeah, it's all, it's all good, how man. Many That's eggs just the do, how many eggs do tegus have? Like, are you going to be – what are the odds going to look like in terms of, you know, you make those double heads? Do they have a decent handful of eggs, or is it going to be a hard-to-hit thing? Um, no, it actually should be pretty easy. I mean um, – uh, depending on tegus generally lay on average about 30 eggs good females can lay I mean I had one female lay like 68 eggs once and oh my god I mean okay yeah <laughs> they can tegus are kind of they're kind of they're they're tricky I mean um you know there's a lot of inherent problems with breeding them because uh the babies are kind of ticking time bombs. You you can't really keep that many lizards by themselves when you have, you right. know, if you get like 300 right. of them, you can't really have 300 baby lizards that require UV and heat lamps alone. It's just, it's an enormous, I mean, it's, sure. it's just a lot it's of problems. It's not practical. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. And if you, and if you have them together, you have about four weeks to get rid of them before they start mangling each other. Uh. So <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, that's what, uh, that's why I will never commercially do them again. It was a Mm. foolish effort on my part to try. Um, and, and a lot of people warned me, and I'm like, yeah, well, that's just because you couldn't do it, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I learned a lot of humility and valuable lessons from that thing, let me tell you. And it took me 10 years of licking my wounds to be able to even look at those things again. <laughs> Go get <laughs> 10 years of licking your wounds and a new morph to even be like, all right, I guess, yeah. I, yeah. I guess I'll jump yeah. in again. Yeah. <laughs> right, pretty much. And now it's going to be on a very limited scale. But, yeah, um, yeah, so I mean, you know, one sixteen odds. Um, you know, yeah, you should so be that, right. that should be okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're about a year to raise you know, up, or wh- how long does that take? Um, you know, in the past, I was able to get a lot of them from hatchling. If I got them at hatching, if I hatched my own, basically, I could normally get them up to where they would produce within the first year. Um, mm-hmm. I got these a little later and they were hatched a little later in the year. So I, mine are big enough to breed now, but I think they just, right. You know, they kind of just hit that spot. Yeah. They're a little, so next year for sure. I mean, they're, I got them in, I think in September, October, and they're already over three feet. Wow. So, and they went through a full hibernation cycle. So, um, by this coming as babies, I mean, did you just, yeah. You you so oh yeah, everybody down okay. Oh yeah, no, and I I don't actually do anything in that regard. I just they kind of do it on their own. I mean, I just set them up and they experience you know some. I mean, where I live, they really don't ever get that cold, and it doesn't seem to take much. It just seems to take like a very small drop in the in the daily temperatures. Even indoors, they feel it, and they just kind of shut down. And that's the beauty of those things. I mean, they 
you don't even have to look at them for six months. So when they come back up six months later, you're like, oh, that's so awesome. I got this new, new project. So, so, yeah, it's kind of a – yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of cool things about them. And, and back when I was trying to do them commercially, um, the market was very small. I mean, very, very small. And I thought I could crack that open and um, – it was just a number of, and I'm really the wrong person to do that. I, I've accepted that. I'm terrible at that. So mm. I kind of just <laughs> stay underground now. I have, you know, my girlfriend is, she's more out front. So I let her do all that. She's got her own business name and she's well known for dragons and stuff. So I'm kind of letting, I'm like, you know, here you go. You're going to be the one to sell all this. I'm just going to toil away and I'll. The shit and, <laughs> you know you talk to people to i'll be i'll be over here yeah yeah exactly <laughs> nobody wants to talk to me you know like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's much better this way <laughs> oh <Yeah>. lord <laughs> so gosh yeah i mean awesome. i'm really good with industry people but you know general public you know they look at me um Apparently, I ha- I'm told over and over again by her that I have resting bitch face. <laughs> <laughs> this is why no one comes up to me at Tinley anymore. So, yeah, I understand. Yep. So, um, yep. I have the same yeah, thing. Owen creates like the same in the impression in people. Yeah, I do. Which is a scary man from across the room. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, that's, that's what I yeah. – <laughs> That's what I get. I, I've even tried to tone it down a few times. It doesn't I seem can't. to work. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> That's Turning just disconcerting. Yeah. I have just, Rob stand I'm, there with a tag that says Owen McIntyre. <laughs> he can do all the talking. I'll just grunt. I don't know. It's fine. Then I just have yeah, people trying to punch me. It it goes yeah, really <laughs> sideways, man. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like I don't like to talk to people about rep. Obviously, I, I haven't shut up for two hours here, but um, <laughs> it's just like. It's just like that initial, you know, I'm not somebody that's going to jump up and with a big smile and say, hi, you know, <laughs> that's just, that's just not me, you know, I mean, if Try I recognize you or, damn it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you come up and you ask me the right question, you, uh, you won't be able to get me to shut up. But if you ask me if this, uh, <laughs> you know, if this, if this bed is the appropriate size for your bearded dragon, I'm just not going to, that's just. Not gonna happen. <laughs> what what do you recommend for my tegu? Yeah, go away. Yes, and, yeah, what yeah, top and hat should I put on it today? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh-oh. And and Heather Heather sells leashes and beds, and usually I'm relegated <laughs> to the guy that has to has to sling those at these shows. I'm just, you know, oh, I mean, <laughs> you know. so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said Corrales. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to like? Add well, so in there? you went to Tom's, right? And you so yeah. you saw all the WI boas and all that stuff, right? And all that. Yeah, cool stuff. I mean, certainly I, that's my taste too. Yeah, I mean, I've I've worked with those in the past, and um, and I, I've always really liked them. So I started picking up. Yeah, I did. I did pick up some of those. Um, somehow or another, I have seven or nine Dominican Red Mountain boas now, and I hate them. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, those are Owen's favorite snake bed. He's he's them. he's a boa breeder. Um, he's a closet boa breeder. God, I have three right. of them, and they're disgusting. And like, uh, <laughs> I know, right? No, I hate them so Dude. much. 
<laughs> I, I came home with two Cuban boas that are the most evil creatures. I, I, I didn't, I, I, I mean, it's like they, the hell cracked open and these crawled out. These crawled out. And, and that's, yeah, that's what and, we have now. And I ended up with them. I mean, I literally got chased out of the, out of my, I have this little like snake area quarantine thing. And, and I got chased out of the room by a four foot Cuban bow. I mean, it just, it, it's oh, a, unbelievable. I opened the drawer. It was just on me and it hissing and I was like, yeah, I think they're going to go at some point soon. But, um, but do yeah, those do the fling gig. thing like a blood python fling? Cause they look like they would where yeah. they sort of just fling, propel themselves, they at, themselves you. at you. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what they do. Yeah. They're fun. Okay. They're really, uh, <laughs> I, you know, what's funny about those. I love that snake. I mean, it's a big, yeah. you know, it's impressive. Big, heavy, beautiful but, snake. Yeah. Right. But they are so evil. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then, then then Tom gave me some Jamaican boas, which are just incredible. I, I absolutely yeah. love those. And um, Did you get some Christ you know, after, too? Or you just hope, is that a future hope and dream? That's that's what I'm hoping to get, yeah, at some point. Yeah. Um, I actually too, thought man. I would have some of those by now. But, yeah, I, I, I really like all those. Um He's got he's got quite a few uh, different ones over there, and as he has, sorry, it's, um, and as he produces them or other people do that I see, I'm probably going to pick up more. But that's cool. Primarily, um, you know, primarily I'm I'm my expansion is going to be mostly with Corallus. I'm going to try to pick. I've been picking up imports right now because I have access mm-hmm. to a lot of that, and you know, anything cool that comes in that they you know, call me about, I'll, I'll go pick up. So I've been getting some of those and some nice Northerns. I've got picked up some really nice Northerns recently. And, um, but eventually I'd like to get some of the morphs for the Horchulamas that are out there. And, um, that's probably something we're going to pick up this year. And, uh, some Sanzini. I have a friend that's got the gravid one. And, um, some of these other guys I've been keeping up with have hopefully a gravid one. So I'd like to pick up, that's a snake. That's like a bucket list snake for me. I I've been around yeah, them a lot. Um, yeah. I, I always wanted them. They they kind of fulfill that. I mean, I'm a big fan of all those tree vipers and stuff. And they're mm-hmm. kind of, you know, they have that kind of viper head. Coolest head, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah coolest yeah. head of any snake, man. Without dying. Yeah, That's yeah. Huge you can, pit. You can just yeah. see that without death. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, if it was up to me, I totally have a house full of freaking vipers. But um, I think, uh, <laughs> I think, I think Heather's warnings about uh, you know murder and stuff like that uh, <laughs> pretty much uh, you keep me, you keep me from ever keep, keeps it keeps that on the that, down. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, there will oh, be no venomous. But so yeah, so that's the next best thing. You know, it's a boa. It looks like a viper. I mean, how much better could you? you right. Know? Yeah. yeah, it looks I, like a bangs really, or something. You know, big, big old yeah. heavy body thing, and yeah. yeah. Man, the first time I went to Crutchfield, that's the fir- that's the only thing I asked about. I'm like, dude, I want to see the mangs. Yeah. And he took me into that room and pulled those things out, and I was like, man, that is, those are so badass. I <laughs> that 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 snake is just incredible. Wow. Yeah, man, it's and, uh, that's crazy. And they're tame too, which is even. I mean. He just he just picks them right up. I mean, they're they're awesome. I wouldn't personally do that, but no, yeah, that's not a bite you want to take, man. Uh, but no, no, no. Yeah, I, I mean, he think. really he really. I don't know does. if anyone has. Come, 
Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, he's with Venomous. He really knows his. He knows. He knows what yeah. he's doing. He's. he's I think good it's a feel it, thing. So. You got the it few is, people, yeah. Terry and Tom and stuff, who really have a feel for it. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm sure it's just like all this stuff. You work with it long enough, you really get to know the habits, and you can tell when. Far braver than me. When it, I mean, I no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Set of rocks for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, before they had the venomous the permits and stuff, I had puff adders, and oh, I mean, you could just you know, all that stuff. in my living in, in my in my my bedroom in these little ten gallon tanks. I had I had a oh, pygmy rattlesnake, a, oh my a God. puff adder, uh, and all this little stuff, and yeah, that was that was those days are over, but. Oh, my mom had no idea I had these venomous stuff, and and one day oh, she, God. I just you know she she was afraid of snakes. I didn't really have to worry about her messing with it. And one day she came in, she cleaned my room or something, and I came home and she's like, "What is the liquid that went down that slides down that tank when uh, that snake started to bite the glass?" And uh, this liquid. And I, was, I was like, "Oh, it was the puff it's adder." Spit. Okay. And I was like, "Yeah." It's, that's just saliva, Mom. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's, it's all good. Oh, God. <laughs> Technically, it's not That's lying, all right. But she came, right. she came home one day and found a six-foot alligator in her bathtub, and that really didn't go that'd well either. Yeah, that'd, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mother was yeah, shot. I mean, dead. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was. I caught it. What was I going to do? I had to. You know, I always wanted one. Yeah. <laughs> I was riding my bike down the street, and I saw this freaking alligator in a canal near my house. I'm like, oh, that's coming home. Wait, did you, and, uh, you, you, did you ride with the gator like on your like handlebars or something? How did you get it? I, I I I caught it. I taped its mouth up, and then I I freaking I walked it home carrying it down <laughs> Miami in traffic. I hid my bike in the bushes because I couldn't get them both. And uh, this is a funny story, actually. Only a few people know. So so check this out. So I come home with this thing, right? Nobody's home in my house, and I don't know oh, what the hell I'm going to do with it because it's enormous. Know. So I filled up the bathtub and I put it in there, and then I was like, "Oh, maybe I should feed it something." So I went in my in my in my in my freezer. My mom had this freaking one of those full chickens that you roast. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, like the Cornish hand or so whatever I that chick- Yeah, I took yeah. that out and I threw it in the bathtub, and then I left. I went to my friend's house down the street. Oh my god, you so, left! So, <laughs> close the bathroom door. So. So I come home. So I'm over. I'm down the street, and I get a call from my mom. She's screaming at me, and she's like, "I just went to the bathroom, and and I heard something, and I pulled back the the the, the, the oh she was in there going to the, she was in there going to the bathroom, and, and she heard something in the toilet, and she found oh something in the, in the shower, and she pulled the shower curtain back and saw a huge alligator uh, oh sitting on God, the right chair. In, oh my God! Oh my God! <laughs> So the oh, best part God. about that story, though, it gets better. They she made me get rid of it, but I wasn't gonna oh. get rid of it. So I stashed it at my friend's house for a day while I went to the junkyard and got this old bathtub. I snuck it back to my house. I put it in. <laughs> my my parents had built my brother a a like a little clubhouse in the backyard, and it was big enough oh for his bathtub God. to fit in there. And no one ever went in this thing. So I so I snuck this bathtub and I put it in there, and I kept it in there for. I don't know, like like a couple months. I, I was feeding it brim oh that I was catching in the canal. They oh never knew it was back there. 
And uh, eventually one day I was I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm tired of dealing with this. So I took it out and let it go back where I found it. Oh, God. <laughs> I, was like, I was like 15 years old or something, 14, I don't know. I, I oh, you know, I had to, shit. I had to get herp somehow. Oh, yeah, and, uh, I had to get it out of your system. I mean, yeah, exactly. God, at least Heather doesn't have to worry about coming home and finding a crocodile in her bathtub. Well, maybe. <laughs> I've been there, done that. <laughs> it, it depends. I mean, I always, I always wanted to have more lights, so. Nah, that's I don't a problem. Know. <laughs> pretty, yeah. See, now we're talking yeah, about I got all that crap. Out. Jesus, but yeah, that is great. I don't know. I've done all kind of stupid crap, man. I, I had, I was telling Rob the other day. I kind of had the, either the fortune or the misfortune of growing up in this business. So a lot of people that are still around have seen me do a lot of stupid things. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. Me one, too. <laughs> and every once in a while, it comes back up. But I don't know. I, I've right. never done really anything else. It's amazing. So. <laughs> Yeah. Jeez. I don't know. Well, but yeah, we, we, we normally go through um, some closing questions for you just to kind of, you know, get this stuff going. And, you know, I, I, I love your story. So we may have to have you come back once to tell us crazy. That's <laughs> incredible. But uh, the first kind of closing question would definitely be uh, if you could keep any reptile without any any limitations at all, whether it be by law or cash or whatever, space, availability of a bathtub, what would it be and why? <laughs> Komodo dragons. <laughs> that's uh that was that's always the the thing. When I was a kid, little kid, you know, I used to get the magazine, the books and stuff. I had giant reptiles and um, a bunch of those other really old uh, books. I used to check them out of the library all the time, and that was the first mm-hmm. thing. I always went to the Komodo Dragon section um, for whatever reason. That's just always been uh, been a thing. I mean, I kind of got out of some. I know people in zoos and stuff, and some of them let me play with some of the ones in the zoos briefly when I have been there. So that's kind of gotten it out of there a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I've always really wanted that. If uh, if, the if, multicolor if that ever be and they're they are cool. They they're a cool yeah. lizard. They're not yeah. they're it's not as smart nice. as crocs, but they're a cool lizard for sure. Yeah, and that's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. If they're they're the best. <laughs> if they, yeah, if they had Salvadora intelligence, I don't think there'd be anything living on those islands but those things. <laughs> <laughs> but like one of them, yeah. So, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> the one that rules them all. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's it. right. Everybody else is dead. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So, so yeah. now the next one is if you could go and herp anywhere in the world, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? Man, that's tough. Um, I mean, Heather and I actually have plans to try to go to Australia next year. Why is everyone going to Australia without me? This really sucks. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, Eric and I are going, man. God so And Owen it. just decided that he was, like, too cool for school. He had to buy yeah, some right, dunk pythons or something, yeah. you know. Right. Yeah, he had I to mean, blow money in Hamburg. Like, yeah, shut up. There's just so many iconic reptiles there, you know, and, and they kind of mm-hmm. have it all. You know, you can – you can see a lot, and I have a lot of friends there, so that are that are either in the industry or um, actually one of them is like a game warden and stuff. And he's like, "Yeah, if you can get down here, you know, I'll take you out." And 
That's cool. So that's the kind of stuff that I, I mean, Australia, barring that, um, I think probably right on par with that would be, uh, you know, the Amazon. Um, yeah. Down, down there where the Amazon basins are and stuff. That's uh, that's a snake that I'm, I will at, at least at some point, hopefully within the near future, um, start acquiring. That's uh, that's another bucket lister, and that's something I kind of my future is kind of riding towards that. You know, where when I get too old to even hobble around, I'll still be able to take care of a couple of snakes that uh, don't really require a lot of. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my retirement plan. I'm going to eventually retire and just uh, breed basins and Sanzinia. And, you know, I figure in about 20 years, I'll be, I'll be too beat up to do anything else. So that'll work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of places I'd like to go though. I live really close to the Caribbean. There's a lot of, the West Indies are also another place. I mean, there's a lot of awesome freaking reptiles. I mean, the cyclora and the, and the different boas, yeah. and, and it's kind of close. Yeah, so I don't know why I've never done any of that. But, well, I know why, because the reptile business, having a breeding farm pretty much ensures that you have no life. Yeah, and that you, you're, you're, you're sticking it home. Sure. <laughs> right, Exactly. Yeah, it's like you go away and you bite your nails while you're going. You're like, oh my god, what kind of tragedies are befalling everything when while I'm away? And <laughs> Please God, nothing <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do Tinley twice a year now, or try to, and we're gone for mm-hmm. five days, and we just shut down, and everything's fine. Every time we come back, everything's just fine. But while we're there, one of us or both of us is running through like raging anxiety, wondering. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like, oh my god. What if this happened? What if that happened? <laughs> well, the truth is, nothing happens. Nothing happens. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that makes traveling interesting. But I don't know. So, yeah, one day I'm gonna do it. Uh, hopefully, and I'll, I'll I'll be right there with you. Maybe kind of, sort of, if Rob will go again. But um, there you go. You know it, man. For but sure. I don't think it's going to no be hard question. to reconvince those guys to go again. So I'm not that broken, <laughs> but I'm pissed off. But anyway, um, as long as Eric doesn't die this trip, that's that's the that only. You, that you have one job, Rob. You have one job, the entire time is that's keep Eric Burke alive. If <laughs> him, the show the needs show. it. Yeah, I need him. <laughs> I need him. Like you don't understand how badly the show would be without him. So oh, he's not God. even on this episode. He's still doing shit. So, you know, it's, <laughs> you need to keep him alive. Maimed? Fine. If he comes back missing an arm, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you. But, you know, <laughs> he needs to come back alive. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, uh, Ron, what's the best way to, I guess, to follow you, to get in contact with you? People want to talk shop about reptiles, inquire about some anoles or some tegus. How would they get in touch with you? Um. Pretty much, I mean, the, the really the only thing I have these days is just my personal Facebook page, but it's open to the public, and, you know, you can feel free to friend me, or fly, it's set up so you can just follow if you don't want to do that. And, um, and I, you can always get a hold of me that way through Messenger. Um, I do post um, some things uh, through that way. My, my uh, audience tends to be, like, more hardcore herpers, but most mm-hmm. of the stuff we end up putting through um, Heather's business page, which is fairy tale dragons, um, which is also on Facebook. Um, 
and uh, most of the things that are for sale will actually go up that way as well. Um, but that one is where she puts most of the dragons and stuff, which I don't really advertise. So people on my page really don't care about bearded dragons, so I don't want to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, you know, it's just that yeah. thing. You know, it's like well, she, I was it, telling it's him weird how before the- – Oh, sorry, man. No, I was telling ahead. him before the show, no, no, you know, I picked up those books from you at Tinley in October. And uh, so I gave them to Eric, you know, so Eric right. was driving back. And I said, hey, man, uh, can you, you know, take these with you? My carry-on's not going to handle it. Can you take these with you and then just mail them, you know, send them to me media next week or whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. he proceeded to lose them in his basement until March. <laughs> and then I asked him about yeah. it, and he was like, oh, yeah, I do have these books. And then uh, – <laughs> He managed to send them to himself. So, so he says, "Okay, I'm going to send them to you Tuesday, man." Yes. And I'm like, "Okay, cool." Then two weeks go by, and I haven't gotten the books. And I'm like, "Oh God, were they misdelivered? Someone picked them up. Someone stole them from my house. What happened?" So I call him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, man. I had put uh, I put my own address as the delivered to address." <laughs> Um, so they came back the next day to my house. So I'm going to pick them up here at Carpet Fest in you know, a couple of weeks. So I'll finally get those books oh my that God. I got from you. <laughs> it only took a year, huh? A year yeah. later, Holy yeah. God. Nine months later, you know. Right. So. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, I, Rob, I was going to ask you about that. Rob finished up uh, all the other books he was reading, and now he's totally clear. So he's good now. So, yeah, you, it, you know, it was like, okay, well, this is fine. But, uh, yeah, I was just panicked that he had, you know, sent him to my old house or something. You know, I'm like, oh, they're yeah. gone forever. And then, no, no, they came right back to his house. He sat on them for, you know, eight months, and then he <laughs> sent them to himself. Like I said, I need him for the show, though. I need him for the show. All right? <laughs> somehow it works so, for the show. I don't, I don't somehow understand. Somehow it works for the show. I don't ask questions. It's been six years. It's been running okay. So, you know, I just, yeah. Uh, he could FedEx a live animal, but he can't use media mail. Do I, I don't understand. No, I do <laughs> right? I, yeah, I had to mail all the T-shirts and you know uh, calendars. But anyway, let's stop ripping on him before he fires me. Uh, so. But but Ron, it, it's been awesome to talk to you. And like I said, I love the old herping stories and shit like that. So definitely welcome to come back anytime uh it's it's been fantastic and uh you know uh we wish you the best of luck with the the tegus and obviously with your uh newfound love of horrible indian boas and all that yeah right (laughs) (laughs) yeah man well at a minimum man we'll have to stand you a beer at tinley you know stand you a beer and some supper at tinley definitely yeah sounds good man i definitely i'll see you guys there and um yeah, I mean, anytime uh, you want me to come on and talk over you for two hours or whatever, just let me know. I'm more than happy. No one to wants do to it. hear me talk. It's fine. So it's all it's perfect. So. Yeah. No. Oh, and you up. need to put out content for the anniversary shows. It'll be great. No, you know? no, Let's no. To I dig don't want to talk anymore because then you bring up shit that I said six years ago and you <laughs> brought back at me, and I'm like, I don't remember this. God, I was stupid. So yeah, I, whatever. So. I was just listening. To, I just started that process, man, and I was listening no. to the show. And your old man's going off about it was that uh, first year the Pens won the cup, and you know he's screaming in the background and stuff. So that'll yeah. probably make it in. Oh, of course it will, and he'll he'll be at Carpet Fest, so you know I'm sure you and him can get a little live interview, live bonding. Oh, yeah. yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard any of those, but uh, Ron, but uh, Owen's old man's a real piece of work. I love him. He's an 
a-hole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've gone back, actually. I, I really didn't do the whole podcast thing until about a year ago. Um, I, for whatever reason, I was just burnt out and not really following. And when I started really getting back more into uh, – I've done a few of these for, like, Herpentime and other people that have asked me. So, yeah. But then I started um, – somebody turned me on to this one, and to be honest, man – I'm a big fan. I've gone back and listened to almost all of them. This thing, play, your show plays in the background at my warehouse pretty much constantly. So if I'm not, if I don't have, if I don't have music going, I've been because you guys have six years of them to go back. To. I know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's great though, man. There's tons of just amazing information on these, and um, you know, it's it's cool. I it was able to get me kind of back up to speed i I, last couple years have been pretty chaotic so i was kind of uh not really keeping up with uh the industry or you know what was going on with herpeticulture and uh this show in particular really kind of got me caught back up so big fan man love this show so well thank you very much and we'll keep going until eric's murdered by a crocodile at the you know because rob That's I'll do my best, man. That's all I ask. So, but anyway, Ron, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely catch up with you soon. And uh, you know, thanks again. You have a good night. All right. Thanks, you guys too. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man. Have a good night. All right, Rob. We have a little bit more shop to talk, and uh, at some point, Eric said he may be stopping back by, but. I do want to run down real quick the already uh, the items that will already be in the Northeast Carpet Fest auction. Uh, kind of as a teaser, is also kind of give a shout out to everybody who has already donated something. So I have right the list right here. Ah, the, the list. The list begins with Eric Burke, who has not put oh, down Lord. an amount, an animal, or anything. He just put his name. So I'm going to guess so, that Eric Burke will be auctioned. Yeah, yeah, uh, two thousand dollars, or I thought we were just going to auction off Eric Burke. So either mm, or, interesting. Either or. Yeah, so it's his, it's his fault for not filling in and now make letting me do stuff. But Eric Burke will obviously be giving a voucher for animals, and he is producing a lot of stuff. Um, did you see the caramel granite, whatever the hell that thing was, hatching out today? Yeah, right before I had hopped on, I was like, oh lord, here's another. Crazy mutt thing he's making, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's caramel, granite, zebra, something, something, something. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> the acronym, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> but um, so he's got that. He's got a bunch of IJ stuff, and I know, and I said that on purpose. So um, he's got a bunch <laughs> of that stuff cooking. Uh, he's got a ton of stuff. So obviously, uh, and the good thing is that because Eric is hosting, you get to check out his shit, and then go bid on the ba- on the voucher. So. That's awesome. Right, put uh, little stickers on there saying, you know, oh yeah, voucher pending. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> so um, uh, he won't mind that at all. <laughs> the the next one is uh, Howard Redding of Redding Reptile Breeders is donating a $200 voucher uh, for his stuff. He does a lot of really good jungle stuff. He also has some really cool non-Morelia stuff that I'm really kind of hoping that he gets going. He has those um, red-beaked snakes. Yeah. Yeah, I love The Rufus those. stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. So, well, when are you going on with um, <clears throat> the Ground Up folks? June 4th. 
Okay, so what? That's right before Carpet Fest. Ooh, yes. that'll be that'll be tasty. Okay. I know. <laughs> Something I know. to listen to on the plane. There you go. I, I I live to provide you with endless amounts of entertainment, Rob. Well, you just got to get Jim on too. Oh, are you doing no. the whole? Are you doing the whole video thing? Because I know Probably. some. Oh, oh, Why? he's got to no. got to make a wander in. No, That'll be he'll good. Be he'll be out. He'll be out by then. He'll be gone. He'll be on ah. Yeah, you got nothing. You have nothing. And I'm well, not I do have my phone, him. and I can <laughs> record him at the at Carpet Fest, so I have that. But I don't have my hopes and dreams, but I do have that. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of stuff you and I got to talk about, Rob, and the constant, you know, <laughs> the constant attempts to attempts to destroy me. But um, oh Lord, it's all love, man. <laughs> I also got to talk to you because. Uh, you're my go-to person, and I'm like, I like this snake, and you're like, you moron, it's venomous, and or it'll kill you. Don't touch it. So you know, there's. You there's get those boas? Things. What? No, no. <laughs> you not. haven't fallen down that that hole. I haven't fallen down okay. that pit, that hole yet. It, it's coming. I know it's coming, but I haven't done it yet. But oh uh, lord, Chinese king rats are like. Oh, they're great, man. Oh, they're nasty, but they're great. I don't care. Are you well, nasty snake? Are you kidding me? I saw. Two of them um, at a, a Habit of Grace, and they're actually a morph. One was an albino, one was got a, uh-huh. I don't know, but it looked like a king cobra, like just the colors. Oh of yeah, it. man. Well, it and they're like thick and they're cobra. heavy with the keeled thing uh, going you, on. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. It's. I'm well, done. I'm I mean, this is the part you'll love as a boa, you know, a uh, red mountain boa guy. Is mm-hmm. that the old common name for those? Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Do you know what the old common name for those the king rats is? No. No. The stinking goddess. Legitimately, that was the common name for these until they were like, hmm, maybe not a that great sucks. sales pitch. And they cut that out in the <laughs> mid-90s. All right. So first of all, I want to know why. And second of all, I want to know how the hell do you know all this shit with this kind of stuff? Like you just break that out and like just all the time. <laughs> I've had them, man. They're they're beautiful. I've, I've had the albino them. stuff. They're, they're gorgeous, man. They're big snakes. I mean, not, not huge. They're not as big as your blue beauty stuff. But man, they're they're fiery. They're beautiful snakes. So, man, it's gonna be. Hey. You should get them. There's no reason not to get them. But they're gonna. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. They're fun when you have a handful. They're probably not mm. that fun if you have when you have forty collection. of them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I don't know anyone that's ever had. Unlike the uh, red-tailed green rats, the Ghanis, I've mm. known people who've just had only had Ghanis and had like forty what? of them. But why? Yeah. It was just because, I mean, they're cool snakes, man, but they 40 are, wears but you out. But I've never known anyone out. to have 40, you know, 40 Carinata, man. Those, no. ooh, they'll, you should get, yeah, pick them up, man. You'll enjoy right. a pair right. of them for sure. Well, I still have to, I, I have the, I have another, I have the second species of Madagascan hog now. So uh-huh. I, I need to, <laughs> na- there's a third one. And, and and it annoys me that I don't have it. So sure. That'll you gotta. I'll get to that later. You got the little OCD um, thing. You gotta it, complete it the set. I yeah. Know. But anyway, let's get back to the list because <laughs> you know. Right. So Howard sent us us spiraling off. Okay. I yeah. Did. Um, coming back. The ne- next person is Ian Bissell, S and J Reptiles. He has a two hundred dollar voucher. Now that is a ton of green tree pythons, and I also know that. Ian is getting heavily involved in Corallus and Sanzinia as well, that kind of stuff. So that's very cool. I, well, I mean, what the hell? Ian's selling more f- 
Nidenoles to Ron. Yeah. He's not sending them to us. What the hell is that about? I don't understand that, but you know, we, we can we can. Qu- he will be at Carpet Fest as well, so we can. Qu- yeah, he's going to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, goddamn right. Um, <laughs> Matt Minitola Philly Herp is a two hundred fifty dollar voucher, and that is Bloods, Borneos. He's got Viper Boas. He's got whatever the hell those other. Uh, he's got another. Type he's of got the Amarilla, the Bolivian stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, you. he's got. Yeah, beautiful stuff. <laughs> Best Borneos in the world. So yeah, and okay. He he got me to get a retic, and I mean that's that has to be hard, and it <laughs> succeeded. So there you go. Um, you, Mister Stone, are it says book for Carpet Fest. So you're providing a book. So yeah, so it's a it's a copy of the 1979 International Zoo Yearbook, which was the second Damn. one that had a reptile focus. And this is one that was is new, been sitting on the shelf in a bookstore for you know that entire time, which is kind of cool in itself. Um, cool. What almost forty years or whatever. So it's just got a little line on uh, where it obviously was getting a little bit of sun. But I mean, it's a completely new book. I bought uh, bought a copy used that I'm keeping, and then I got this new one. And it's a cool book, man. It's fun to. It's fun to read back and see. I mean, it's a collection of scientific papers from zoos back in the late 70s. There was something I was looking at that was talking about legality of stuff from Switzerland. All sorts of cool stuff in there, man. So someone will get a cool book. And, I mean, heck, maybe they'll get it in nine months to a year when Eric finally decides to ship it to them. I know. If anything, it just kind of grows in value. Yeah, right? That's an extra year added on to it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Next, obviously, is Mr. Buddy Buscemi from GTP Keeper is giving a $750 voucher. Now, Buddy produced my trio of rhino rat snakes, and I love them. I mean, they have been my I, – I love those guys. I mean, they're fiery. They're feisty. They want to just chill out, and they, and they sit out. I have them in an arboreal rack system. And they're all these twigs, and they just sit on the twigs and watch me as I'm doing stuff. And they're great. I love rhino rat snakes. And, of course, he's also known for green tree pythons as well. So uh, that Right. That, that voucher probably gets you either a pair of rhinos or, or a quarter of the way to a chondro, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, or, yeah, maybe you can own a tail of a green tree. But, yeah, I yeah, mean, right. they're, they're very cool animals. And uh, I, I actually got my rhinos last year at Carpet Fest. And uh, Mike Curtin was playing with them. So I know that a lot of people uh, mm. may have to fight Mike Curtin for this voucher because I know he's been dying for rhinos. So there's that. Um, Mr. Scott Borden and his wife Valerie are donating a $150 voucher where Scott does sell snakes as well as uh, jungle carpets. They also do mossy leaf-scale geckos and uh, neon de- and, and a few other things. But then his wife is also donating an unsexed juvenile neon day gecko uh, to the auction as well. So we don't just have snakes. We also have things like geckos and stuff like that, too. So if you're into that kind of stuff, it's something else to look for. And I know that, you know, uh, Scott and Valerie are very, very nice people. And I give Scott tons of shit. And I intend to give him even more shit at Carpet Fest. I may even have a crown for him. So (laughs) I was there to hear that, man. That was, I you know, know. <laughs> King of Morelia. Okay, cool, man. It's it, it's a Morelia family thing, you know. You 
and Eric just stabbed me. I turn around, stab Scott. Like you know, it's it, it. There's there's stabbings all around. But anyway, um, uh, Riley from Riley's Reptiles is giving a hundred fythi dollar voucher. Riley, of course, does carpet pythons as well as Brazilian rainbow boas, and he's the guy who introduced me to the Madagascan hogs, and he's got a uh, group of the giant ones that are actually way older than my babies, so that's something else to look forward to on the horizon because I'm really not going to shut up about them anytime soon. <laughs> um, so we have a $200 voucher from uh, Rage Bearded Reptiles, which is carpets as well as I think he ended up just getting Papuan pythons recently. So... That's going to be cool, and that's awesome. Cool stuff. Um, I yeah. know. And then Brian Schaefer is donating two Carpet Fest steins. He took the logo from the two thousand from this year's Carpet Fest and had them printed on these big German like beer steins. <laughs> okay. They look they look amazing. So we're getting two of them as well as a Bluetooth speaker with the Carpet Fest logo on it for this year as well. So those will be up for auction. And then myself, Mr. Owen McIntyre of Rogue Reptiles, will be giving a $200 voucher as well, where I have the caramels, I have, you know, uh, jungles, I have the freaking Woma eggs that are doing, I hope, coming. Um, but they, they still look okay? They look horrible. They look horrendous. Mm. They're, but they, I, I will not throw them away. I, they, yeah. I can't find I, I see veins. And I won't throw any yeah, away. Keep until going, it's man. Like gooey and smelly. So they're doing And even then, write it out a week. <laughs> I will. I intend to. Like, I hope and pray. But um, got that going. Plus, I'm still sitting on a few other clutches. I'm going to have uh, some caramel head exanic stuff kicking out there. So we're going to have a lot of stuff. And I may actually get bread lie again this year. So nice. there's, there's going to be some things. Um, and. Uh, then next year, of course, is my big Collierbird year where all the shit I've been talking about is finally old enough to breed. So, you know. Yeah, man. It'll be fun. I, it's going to be great. So that's what we have in the list so far. If you are listening to the sound of my voice and want to contribute something, anything, we don't mind. We don't care. You don't worry about the dollar amount for a voucher. Don't worry about if it's a serious thing. It doesn't even need to be a reptile thing. If you want to donate something to the auction, we will toss it up there because every little bit helps. We are, of course, donating to U.S. ARC. Howard is a Howard Redding is actually taking his stuff and is donating them to his crocodile um, uh, stuff that he has going on. So that'll be a separate thing, but that's totally fine. So uh, obviously we can do stuff like that as well. If you have something that's near and dear to your heart and you want to throw it in there, that's totally great. Just let us know. Um, T-shirts, reptile memorabilia, you know, it, it, whatever you feel that you can, chuck in and we'll auction it off. We have, uh, actually, I think Matt Minitola is donating a T-shirt from one of the Carpet Fest that he bought that doesn't fit. So if you did not go to that Carpet <laughs> Fest or if you want to make it into a wall hanging like I did, that'll be up. Also, I think there's a wooden cage that has gone from several people uh, who have picked it up, not really used it, but it's back in the auction again. That's fine. Uh, I don't care. So if you want to give something to the auction, please let us know. Reach out to myself or Eric or hell, you can even contact Rob. He knows where to find us. And um, he, we will put it in the auction. Let us know what it is. If you can include a picture or if it is a voucher, if you include your logo, your name, we don't care. Just let us know. It'll be in the auction. We'll let you know who's won after the auction is completed. 
and they'll contact you about either filling out the voucher or shipment of whatever the hell it is. Uh, if you can't attend Carpet, Carpet Fest, if it's a non-breathing thing, please bring it to Carpet Fest. We'll take care of it from there. Um, and if you are also looking to attend Carpet Fest, please let myself or Eric know that you're coming, how many people you're bringing, and what you intend to bring as a food or drink item. We ask that everybody at least bring something so that there's enough food for everybody. Uh, we'll be providing a few stuff, but not a lot. Um, so definitely reach out to us for that. If you need hotel information, it is on the Carpet Fest Facebook page. I think I've done everything. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I think so, man. I think so too. I think it's been a solid effort. The only, the only unfortunate part is, is that um, I don't know how to end this without Eric because he's got control of the board. And if you and I just stop talking and hang up, will the show continue? I think if we both hang up, where is this fool? He was supposed to be. Oh, I'll keep checking in. I sent him a message. I told him when we were closing down, and he's just doing whatever. I know he's outside scrubbing a pool. That's the other thing. At Carpet Fest, there will be a pool. So if you feel inclined to go into said pool, please bring a bathing suit. Nick Scally, you know what I'm talking about when I tell you to please bring <laughs> a bathing suit. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I can say. I'm done now. So, um, But it'll definitely be a good good time, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh and I know if there's some people who are a little on the fence about it, maybe you might even be a little nervous meeting some carpet people um, or meeting a bunch of people. Don't don't be too concerned and don't feel like you're going to be on the outside of this looking in. Come, introduce yourself, have a good time, eat, drink, come back next year. So, very cool. Anyway, Rob, why don't you throw out your information what you got going on and then I'll close this out and then we'll see how the hell this happens yeah he's showing his active on messenger now so we'll see if he turns up I just asked him oh, where I'm the hell he was at blaring him just blaring him I'm just gonna keep texting you talk I'm just gonna keep texting him right on um so Facebook Rob Stone Facebook High Plains Herp um highplainsherp.com rhinorats.com go to the same place not super updated, changing it into really just a discussion on uh, the various aspects of rhinos, my various thoughts after 20 years or whatever. Um, I don't really have anything for sale, but uh, mm. feel free to reach out and chat and whatever. Um, yeah, man, I think that's basically it. I'll be at, uh, be at Carpet Fest. That'll be cool. And yeah. uh and obviously, I, I don't know. You're going to represent my half of NPR at uh, October Tinley, right? Yeah, I'll be at Tinley, and you, right? Because you got that wedding, right? That's my brother. Deal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that probably you can't probably avoid that. Um, <laughs> not, not if, yeah, fair enough. Not if we don't want my mother to just like appear at Tinley and like drag me. <laughs> Drag you away by your ear. Yeah, Yeah, dear God, no. Like, and I don't need that. Like, there's a lot of things I could probably recover from. Not that. (laughs) So. Yeah, that that sounds about right, man. So I hear that. Um, And then, yeah, we'll just have to start planning, planning the next trip. I know he was talking about Indo for next year. I think that was Matt's uh, thought or idea or whatever. And uh, yeah, man. Certainly, we'll figure something out. It'll be fun. That's killing me. I mean, like you know. And he's like, so you'll probably be one show where Rob and I are in Australia and you have to do it. And I'm like, I refuse. I refuse to do a show 
while you're in Australia, when I have to sit there and know that you are in Australia, like, no. So, yeah, I, I, there's, it's already pulling us apart. So. Oh, God. Well, we'll just have, it'll just be like Wednesday, you know, or something. It'll just be the next day. It, it'll be the afternoon of the next day. And we'll be like, oh, this, this is normative. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. You should just do it with Matt. He he similarly was like, you know, whatever, can't do it, man. I know, but we can't just sit here and talk about how much we hate you guys. I mean, because you guys have to come back, and you might listen on the plane back, and then all kinds of hell. So That'd be pretty fabulous, actually, but, you know, whatever, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right, let me me do this rundown real quick, and then uh, we'll shut it down. I bet. And then uh, if anybody is out there listening, this is the uh, – when I stop talking, this will be the end of the podcast. If it continues, just turn us off, all right? Jesus Christ. Anyway, um, <laughs> next week we've got nothing in here. It could just be me and Eric talking to each other, which happens every once in a while. We could always end up finding a guest. Uh, we don't know. Eric's working on something. Anyway, um, for us, we have MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, you can go there to find out all the stuff going on about the show, as well as info into the Morelia Complex. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, guest ideas, want to reach out to myself. If I said something very stupid and you want to correct us, that's fine, too. Uh, you can do that by reaching out to info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Eric's website is ebmorelia.com. He's got a ton of information up there in the breakdown of his entire collection. If you are interested in any of the animals that he's working on currently, I suggest you guys go there and check out his breeding journal and his breeding diaries and see what he's got cooking up. He's going to have a ton of stuff. So definitely go check that out. You can always reach out to him at eric at ebmorelia.com. You can also check out E.B. Morelia at Facebook.com. He also has an Instagram and a YouTube channel. So you can go and check out all that kind of stuff for Eric. For me, not that much. So it's um, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com and check out all the stuff we have going on there. The website is under construction. It will be completely redone and revamped in the next couple months. So uh, don't expect it to look the same. So... Uh, there will be some changes uh, coming soon. Uh, you can also go to Facebook.com, look up Rogue Reptiles at Facebook, give us a like, check out all the stuff we have going on over there. Uh, I am running very low on the 2017 babies. There are just not that many left, but I have a few 2018s coming. So if they, you wanted to reach out on any of those uh, pairings that I have currently on the website, let me know, and uh, I'll put you on the list. Uh, that's all we have for everybody tonight. So I will say, Rob, once again, thank you for jumping in as the uh, go-to uh, emergency co-host. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, no worries, man. It was a lot of fun. Always. So what we will say for everybody is thank you all for listening, and we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.